Hello and welcome to episode 388 of The Crate and Crowbar. It is the 14th of December 2021. My name is Chris Thurston and joining me this evening is Alex Wiltshire. Hello. And joining me this lunchtime is Tom Francis. <laughs> Hello. The time zone bit. We all enjoyed that. Uh, this is going to be the last Crate and Crowbar of 2021. And so as is tradition, we're gathered here, makes it sound like a funeral, to lay the year to rest, uh, to do to do something of a kind of game of the year pod. However, where previously we would try and get everyone in a room for a kind of massive like uh, run through of all of the year's games, uh, this year for, for a variety of scheduling reasons, including uh, Tom Senior's microphone breaking half an hour ago, we've not been able <laughs> to get a big crowd. Uh, and also, I think one thing we've all found is that it's been a relatively quiet year in some ways. And so what we're going to do is run through a bunch of personal uh, and sort of collective highlights of the year, settle on a kind of traditional game of the year, but we're not going to do the full exhaustive. Um, we get steadily more and more pissed while trying to remember why we put so many games on a list. Uh, <laughs> I think might do half of that. We'll see. We'll see how where we get. Um, but before we get into it, um, I would be interested in sort of getting a sense of what both of your years were like from a, from a video game and point of view um obviously we can we can talk about specific games momentarily but just like what was your experience of games in in the year 2021 tom francis i have been using them as a crutch <laughs> quite heavily <laughs> i mean always but especially uh this year um and so uh games that have uh, i guess there's one that's like less healthy and one that i think is quite healthy <laughs> so the less healthy one is slay the spire as always that is mm. my uh go-to comfort game it's just this thing that's sort of endlessly um appealing i i always fancy a run of slay the spire and there's always this sense of promise that like oh this time something really cool could happen like because and, and not not false promise because often it does um but i've never really got very good at it like <laughs> despite playing it for many years just like on the regular and i think i don't want to like i i now know enough to kind of um uh, know what I need to work on if I want to get better at the game, but it's just more like focusing on all these different like counters ticking down and and knowing more about enemy attack patterns and just getting way too deep into it where it would no longer be relaxing. And the role that game plays for me is just like maybe I'm stressed, maybe I uh, am have insomnia, maybe uh, you know there's something uh, I'm trying to get my mind off, and I can just play Slay the Spire and it will absorb all of my attention but not demand too much of me. And I'll just have a fun time and be excited about cards. And then the other one, I said that was unhealthy. Actually, it sounds quite healthy now that I say it. <laughs> um, uh, and then the nice one is um, that uh, Graham and I have started playing Supreme Commander again. <laughs> like I just oh, really wow. had a craving to oh, you play you actually it. did it? Oh, good. And yeah, I just uh, messaged him and see, uh, to see if he wanted to play it uh, together at some point, just co-op, so us against the AI. And uh, we did it, and then we've been doing it every Sunday since, and it's just a really nice, like, uh, you know, uh, way to reconnect. Um, you know, having I've, for listeners who don't know, I've moved countries since. Um, in fact, we haven't. I wasn't seeing Graham back in the UK anyway because he'd moved to towns, um, and so now we talk to each other more than we used to. That's lovely. Nice. Also, get to crush loads of robots, which is a bonus. <laughs> yeah, and that game is just like it never stops being a puzzle to figure out it's so fucking complicated like the just the economy just getting your power and your mass to like not crash is this like <laughs> lifelong pursuit <laughs> like, we'll never truly master it but we get better each time how about you alex 
Yeah, it's been a it's been a weird gaming year. Um, I I honestly thought I was starting to not really care about um, new games anymore because um, I don't know. I do, I mean I think that it's partly because there haven't been that many banner games because of COVID. I'm sure has been a big part of all that. Um, um, watching a new generation of consoles coming in and then not really feeling any of the impact of that has, has also been strange to see sort of, is it really worth being interested in sort of, or like, you know, being as interested in, in that field. I get partly also my job has been, you know, I've not been writing very much over this year because um, I've been spending most of the time working um, for Mojang and, and kind of thinking about books and things like that, that, you know, as part of my, that job there, that, that I just haven't had to, play games in order to make a living which is not which is strange for me and um and that's all that's all been quite odd and that coincided with also and I've spoken about it quite a few times on the pod over the year but coincided with getting a sort of like a, a retro gaming system called the mister um mm. which has seen me actually spend m- lots more time playing around on that than my pc in particular um my ps4 hardly went on all year um, but, uh, you know, while sort of faintly being faintly concerned and I'm kind of not interested in games anymore, if I actually tossed it up the, uh, the number the amount of time I spent time playing games over the year has probably been as high as ever, as any year or maybe even mm. higher because I've been exploring genres of games, which I never really knew before, like, um, particularly, and again, I've talked about this on the pod a bit, but shooter, like sh- sh- shoot shoot ups you know, Mushihim Sama, uh, Dodonpachi, uh, Hellfire, R-Type, Blazing Lasers. Like, um, it's a whole category of games that I've really, really enjoyed getting to start to get a a, a sliver of understanding over. <laughs> like, I still don't know what makes a good shooter, but I think I've felt the appeal of a few good shooters and I'm mm. kind of intrigued to play more and more to just to figure out what that is and actually start to get, well, I'll never be good at them, but not as bad at them. So that, that, <laughs> and now I look back at it, I think, yeah, you know, it's been, that's been constructive and, and it's been good to understand some of the games that sort of inform a lot of the stuff that I've written about over years and years. So that's, so it's not been so bad. And I got a PS5 and and I hardly play on it, but that's good. <laughs> yeah, same. Same. Really about it. Yeah, same. <laughs> I worked um, so hard to get it. I was really like, you know, it was really difficult to get hold of one. And I, I fought and fought and then I got it. And like, I don't think I'm going to buy Returnal because it's like 70 quid. And yeah. I don't know if I'm going to like it. And then eventually I got Death Loop on it. And that's, I think, all I've played on my PS5. <laughs> um, what about you, Chris? So I, it's been a strange one, partly because the first half of this year, I'd say the first five, six months of this year, uh, lasted like 40 years and then the last six months have taken eight minutes and so like i have had a very strange and, and that is wholly work related that's wholly to do with when i have been had a kind of a balanced schedule and when i've been very 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 busy and that has obviously affected the way i've played games and actually one thing that's manifest as i was putting together my kind of like thoughts for this podcast was realizing there are things that I played this year that we'll get on to talk about that I had no idea were this year and that really could have come out years ago as far as I was concerned. And yeah. things I've played far more, in some cases, very recently. And then there's gulf of kind of like unmapped time in the middle. 
that I almost struggled to account for fully. And I think, uh, you know, one thing just to clarify is we're going to we're going to focus on games that came out in 2021 on this podcast, partly to thin the list. But I think as we've all identified, you know, we've, a lot of what we've actually, you know, spent time doing has been playing games that that did not. And um, really, to be honest, the game that has sort of um, occupied the, the majority of my time um, in the last three or four months uh, was Cyberpunk 2077, mm-hmm. which I think in normal circumstances would have been like probably the most significant gaming experience I had this year. Um, I actually, so much so that I actually finished it this morning before work, uh, <laughs> finally, a um, hundred hours on the save. I think I've done every single thing in that game um short of buy all the cars um i i know i've spoken about it at the pod and i'm not gonna spend a lot of time on it but uh i found that like i really wanted and needed like an immersive narrative driven game um to sort of make my way through and it very much fulfilled that and i am now in that slightly verklempt post big game sort of feeling of like well it's kind of over now um i i was sort of pleased with the ending i got albeit bittersweet i respect that it's 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 narrative which i think is sort of this combination of very brash and like fiercely intelligent and humane which is a really weird combo um sort of um all the way to the end refuses to give you kind of easy solutions and traditional win states and i think that's one of the reasons that it didn't necessarily get one of the <laughs> that's probably the deepest down the rabbit hole reason why it got a poor reception <laughs> but like it's one of the reasons that maybe people didn't come away feeling triumphant from its ending, but I really, really liked it all the way through. Um, I bought a new PC this year, as I mentioned at the time, and therefore was able to play the game with extremely minimal issues, by which I mean there were plenty, but nothing that really got in the way and it loaded fast and it played well. Um, and so that, I think, was, was like um, really uh, a great escape um, in the second half of the year, particularly Um to I think are genuinely one of the most extraordinary environments ever created for a game and a huge technical achievement um, on behalf of the artists and engineers who made it happen that deserves to be called out despite the technical issues that the game has. And also I think a um like a for me at least a pretty high watermark for like big budget video game storytelling and performance and writing generally. Um I think it it you know I think given the the game that it gets unfavorably compared to because of i think some of its marketing is is gta i think it really has like many like lessons to teach gta in terms of like how to tell a crime story with heart and meaning and so many things i really really respect about it like i love i'm so grateful to have a big sort of you know epic scope story game that isn't about saving the world at all um like and that feels so vanishingly rare, not just in games but in pop culture at the moment. To have a game that is entirely about the personal stakes of the people involved, and yes, you engage with some power players in the world, um, and you are fully capable of fully seeing that story through, and only you know, and, and leaving not a dent in the surface of the world that you've you come into. Mm. And I didn't realize how refreshing that was until mm. I was playing Cyberpunk. That has the confidence to just be like, this story is significant because it's significant to the characters that are experiencing it. At no point does. Uh, ancient monolith need to rise out of the ground someone say the precursors <laughs> are back and now we have to do something about a huge beam like and, <laughs> um and so yeah so i think like uh just to have said it given you know that's going to be my my spicy take is that it's like in some ways cyberpunk 27 is probably 2077 is probably the most like played the most significant role 
in my life for the game this year. Um, because of that uh, like time warp yeah. thing that you mentioned, uh, I have yeah. to ask: did did Cyberpunk come out this year <laughs> or last year? It came out in December last year, I believe, or November okay. last year. So unfortunately, I can't include it in the list. Um, but uh, I I I played it last year, then realized my PC was not going to have a great time with it. I had a new PC on the way at the time, and then uh, played it over the course of this year, really in like two batches, like April, May, and then X time passed for some reason. I accidentally pressed the kind of skip time button. Um, <laughs> And then I played it like you know October November and then obviously till today, um, yeah. Uh, such a shame that it didn't have the chance to be as to get like, oh, I don't know. Just you know, it's not a shame. It's 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 you know, there's there's some human agency involved in this as well. But um, genuinely, a genuinely great game lurking under some over sort of, I guess misaligned marketing and huge technical issues um but honestly i think if you just fix that first one you'd have something fairly special because traditionally i think people will forgive a lot in a game that gives them a meaningful story to engage with Mm. um in in this you know people forgive this of bethesda all the time they forgive it of they've traditionally forgiven it of these kinds of rpgs and yeah yeah um i uh I liked it a great deal, and it's, it's genuinely in this. We live in the era of everyone loves Keanu Reeves. Probably one of Keanu Reeves' best performances in anything. Genuinely, <laughs> um, he is so good all the way to the end, and it is like a weirdly meaningful friendship you make with Keanu Reeves, <laughs> my best friend Keanu Reeves, <laughs> and he really has. He's, he's, he's carried me like a baby through the through the last couple of months this year. Chris, have you? Did you try the um that that Unreal uh, uh demo Unreal Five and uh, oh the Matrix demo. thing? Did you? I'm Not yet. No. What, whether that's influenced your relationship with Keanu? <laughs> um, honestly, honestly, the weird thing is, I'm quite excited for the new Matrix film, and then I saw that very funny clip from that Verge. Did you see the Verge interview he did where he um he has he was mean? I think for the first time anyone's seen him be mean in a really long time. Um, he was mean about NFTs. And as soon as he was mean about them, he giggled in this way I've never heard him like make a noise I've never heard him make, which is like I've just his like this is very silly and I've been mean about it. Giggle like he and genuinely it was one of the most it's one of the most hot, like he's a very endearing man anyway. He gives a very you know, good impression of himself, and that was an extremely endearing uh, <laughs> moment. Um, I kind of forgot that he. Like the thing about him used to be how bad he was at acting. Like that was the yeah. joke about Keanu. That's what he's known yeah. for. It's like, oh, he's in those huge movies, but he's terrible. And I, I learned recently that there's a, a point break like stage show uh, in which the Keanu role is played by a random audience member each night to emulate how bad he is at acting. <laughs> oh man, he doesn't deserve that. But he's probably like it <laughs> no. he's so yeah, nice. Yeah, you find yeah. in the audience thinking, yeah, maybe they'll pick me. It was probably his idea. <laughs> um, but he's genuinely good in Cyberpunk. I'll say that. Um, so much so that I forgot it was him. And then occasionally I see real Keanu Reeves and I go, oh, it's Johnny Silverhand. Um, <laughs> um, anyway, enough about me. Let's let's get into it. Let's get talking about the, the, the games we put on the big list. Hey, I'm wondering whether we start with uh, Tom's. We actually did before yeah. Tom's um, uh, mic well, good idea. imploded. Yeah. Uh, we've got a good link. Uh, we asked him for his suggestion. Which oh yeah, was. well, yeah, that's true. Like if I if I'm going to make a contrarian cyberpunk decision, then so can Tom Senior. <laughs> yeah. um, his game of the year um, and was uh, the Ascent. Shall we all try and justify that for him? Which we all went <laughs> having not played hear, it. We could hear he could hear us, but obviously we couldn't hear him as we tried to call into the into our pod. 
pod system and he typed out the ascent we went Huh? Uh, Tom, Tom, it was, it was sounds of furious Tom, typing as we all yeah, googled it. <laughs> Tom, yeah. Chris uh, uh, googled it. I had to Google it. I do remember it because it is on my long list. But but we'll go into the did the, you play the, it, the absolute state of my long list? Uh, I did play it, and I okay. played it happily for I don't know four hours, and it's fine. It's good. I never really progressed beyond the stage. We should say what it is. Okay. This is, it's a, it's a, it's a cyberpunk uh, adventure. Uh Um, I mean, sort of um, uh, played above you almost. um, uh, What's it called? Um, (laughs) Diablo-like. Isometric. Thank you. (laughs) It's a play above you game. It's a play above um, the game where you are a little man, little man, <laughs> little man, run and jump. And you're, are you are you a single little person or are multiple little people? You are a single little person. You uh, play okay. alone, uh, and you can. Uh, it's twin stick, <laughs> twin stick kind of controls. I like. I, lo- I love. It. So when you say you play alone, do you mean it's single player or do you mean that you might well have some? The thing is, this isn't my game. This is you know. No, but you, you're saying this like you've never described any game before. <laughs> I told you I hadn't played most this year. <laughs> no, it might have. It might have. A, it probably has a, um, a, an online multiplayer thing. You know where you play together over the wires. Do you know that? Yeah, thing? Could, yeah. there could yeah. be yeah. goals and and themes and story. And is there, you might is yeah. press some buttons to make events happen. <laughs> Are there challenges? I mean, or all obstacles? the time, there's this constant like imagery on my TV. <laughs> amazing uh, it's very very beautiful it's like it's incredibly like it fucking looks amazing and the camera you're used to playing isometric games and and you assume that when the camera is going to sweep in uh the level of detail kind of is revealed and it's kind of looks like trash this game the, the camera zooms in almost goes first person or over the shoulder and the world looks as good as any third person game and um you know and i've, I've seen various kind of screenshots and, and people exploring the world and revealing these incredible details that you'd never notice as you generally play. Um, it's it's beautiful and it's got these amazing vistas. It's a game in which like you're on these massive sky um, skyscrapers and and uh, as you're running across a, a, a gantry, the camera will move uh, so that you can see gunships just sort of blowing each other up and shattering the facades of adjoining skyscrapers as you run along. It's just like, fuck. <laughs> this is I've never seen this in a game like this. It's gorgeous. Um but it's it's a very kind of loot and shooty kind of design where you're constantly getting new trousers. It's I found it quite convoluted, the whole kind of gear system. You know, I never really felt excited by the things I collected, but I did enjoy it and then I stopped and I'll probably go back to it a bit. And I've done Tom's game of the year choice an in terrible injustice in, in, <laughs> in my inability to describe it and my uh my lack of enthusiasm about it sorry tom well i mean he didn't seem like mega like <laughs> no. attached to any of choice what did so he say oh, I think we've lost that chat entry he did say it's indicative basically paraphrasing him it's indicative of this year that this is the game i'm <laughs> nominating game of the year <laughs> well Thank you for. I'm glad one of us played it because I thought that would otherwise be wildly speculative. Um, <laughs> that could have been uh, fun in its own way, though. <laughs> yeah, it could have been. Um, Tom, um, a, a present, Tom. Why don't Why don't you tell us about Chicory? Chicory, yeah. Uh, Chicory, a colourful tale, um, is a uh, top-down game. <laughs> it's not isometric. Um, 
uh, 2D about a dog uh, painting a black and white world with a magic paintbrush. Uh, it's by oh, the developers of Wonder Song, which was a, a really lovely, wholesome game hmm. that sort of became somewhat well known for uh, underperforming sales wise. It was one of those things where like everybody who played it loved it, um, but it didn't sell very much. And then it actually, there's a kind of happy ending to that because eventually over time it has. It's like it's just never stopped selling that kind of low level. Um, and so now in total, it's actually been quite successful. And Chicory is um, uh, a also incredibly wholesome game, but actually has a um, some quite heavy themes to it. So you are uh, a janitor uh, for the wielder, who is someone of special status in this world who wields the brush and basically adds color to the world. But the wielder uh, is depressed. And uh, you basically take the brush off her and um, go and start painting the world. Um, uh, you know, And you sort of justify it to yourself as like, um, oh, I need to, you know, someone's got to do it. Um, but then it becomes a real a persistent question of like, wait, do I deserve this? Was I chosen to do this? Or did I just steal the thing? And it became like, you know, just a, a issue of practicality that I that I have this brush. And mechanically, that means um, you can paint on the screen anytime in a variety of different colors. Um, and it, that's all persistent. It will stay painted the way you painted it. Um, and then the puzzles revolve around kind of different types of plant life that will either grow when you paint them or only grow if you like uncolor them, like erase them. Um, little like bugs that eat paint. And so wherever you paint, they'll, they'll run after it, like eating it up. Um, other elements that will kind of follow your paint, some that, uh, that, that fear it. Uh, using your paint to light up darkened rooms. Uh, just a, like a really long list of different ways that you being able to draw on the screen could like trigger different elements and the puzzling is like pretty light um it never i wouldn't say that's the point of the game uh really it's just like a, a lovely wholesome uh story that then uh gets into uh some fairly dark territory about like self-worth and depression and um uh judging yourself by your work um and I think it treads a really good line with that, where it's a constant theme. It takes a long time to resolve. Um, and it sort of feels, I don't know, honest. Um, and it's not too kind of uh, pretentious about it. It doesn't feel unearned. It all feels like it's, I mean, it, you really feel the, uh, I, I believe it's written by Greg Lobanov, um, who also is the designer. Um, and it feels like him telling you about his feelings. <laughs> like, it, you know, it's definitely like that rides that, that thin line between the characters are saying this, but I, this, this feels like it's written by someone who has felt these things and um, worries about these things. And um, yeah, it gets into some stuff about like treating people badly when you're depressed and coming to terms with that and, and sort of facing it. Um, there are boss fights. The only combat in the game is boss fights and they are sort of, fairly few and far between they're generally pretty light and you can skip them which i think is great um because it's it's different enough to the challenge of the rest of the game that it, i think it's totally fair that you should be able to just skip them if, it, if it's not for you but those tend to be sort of fighting a manifestation of somebody like uh, a character you'll, you'll sort of fight their worst version of themselves um and in the middle of the boss fight they'll be saying the kind of the darkest thoughts they're having about you or about themselves um and so it gets to dig into that kind of psychological territory in a really satisfying way. Um, 
and yeah it's just full of such gorgeous little touches it's really made with a lot of like love and care i greg has a very different philosophy than i do about this kind of stuff where like um he uh i should mention i guess in spirit of full disclosure greg is a friend um and so is alexis the artist um but uh he will lavish care and attention and work into just the smallest moment. Um, so there's one example I loved is you, you need to get a transit pass. And so you go and get your photo taken. And like any time in real life that they would, you'd get this done, they tell you, okay, don't pull any funny expressions, don't pull any poses. And Chicory has a expression and pose system developed just for that one moment. <laughs> like, <laughs> the one time you're asked not to pull a pose or an expression, there's a whole system for choosing a pose and expression. <laughs> it never comes up again. <laughs> uh, and then my favorite feature of the whole game, and I think it's just incredible, is um, uh, the hint system, which is there are phone booths around the, the world. And uh, anytime you're stuck, you can use a phone booth to phone your mum uh, and ask her what she thinks you should do. And so it always says, you know, you explain your whole situation to your mum and then your mum will have some, um, for you know, whatever stage you're at at the game, whatever quests you have complete or incomplete, she will have some helpful hints to just point you in the right direction. Uh, and then as she's talking, a little hand kind of reaches towards the phone from off ca off camera. And she's like, oh, your dad wants to, wants, to wants to speak to you. He thinks he, you know, he always has such specific uh, advice. And so you get to choose whether you want to let your dad tell you exactly what to do, <laughs> which just feels like a, a very well-observed <laughs> parental relationship. <laughs> like, oh God, your dad's just going to spell it out for you because he loves to know he's right. Oh God, it's, that's too real for me. <laughs> yeah it's just a it's a gorgeous game it's also that there are some moments in it that are um uh you really know a game is working when you find yourself sort of engaging it in it more than you need to so sometimes you're asked to draw something like there's an art class and and because you're the wielder everyone's really really curious to see what you'll draw um and i sort of know rationally like the game is not going to be able to judge my art. Like it can't actually know whether my art is any good or not. Um, but that context, that story set up for it, and the game's general playfulness and, and wholesomeness and and um, uh, sort of love of, of art and everything just has me in the mode to like, yeah, I'm really going to try here. I'm really going to draw the best thing I can. Um, and actually, the, the game does try and judge it. Like it, you'll get feedback, and it will mean something about what you've drawn. Like obviously, it only has very rudimentary ways of doing that. But you know, if you've drawn a single thing in the center, people will call it well focused or well balanced. Or if you've splashed color all over the uh, the, the canvas, it has a different uh, feedback for that. But yeah, a lot of times throughout it, it sort of suggests that you engage with something. Like you know, uh, Chicory is the name of the previous wielder. She's a sort of rabbit character. And at some point, uh, she asks you to draw her. And I spent quite a long time trying to do the best portrait I could of Chicory. <laughs> and I, I knew like, that wouldn't matter at all, but it just kind of, um, the game had successfully you know, got me on its side enough that like, I wanted to play into what it was asking of me and engage with it. And um, the line between it actually being able to judge that and, and you just doing it for your own sake is, is blurred. And I think that's, that's lovely. I'm trying to think of a... Uh an equally kind of wholesome segue and almost every other game on the list is about death. Um, but, <laughs> but, uh, Alex, you and I both included Valheim on our yes. lists. Um, and, and you, uh, you know, like that was, as soon as I realized that game was this year, something about this year clicked. I know I had to check and then thought, Oh, <laughs> how did that happen? I'm sure right. it's been out for a long time. February, I think, yeah. was Valheim. And I've been, that means I've been 
paying for a mostly empty Valheim server for six months without realizing <laughs> doing that. Um, the, I can't bring myself to close the party longhouse, as the server is known. Um, <laughs> but let's talk about it, because I think this is like up in the, in the category of like defining games of the year, and I suspect games I'll think about when I, when I remember which year this was um, in future. Um, so, you, you know, Valheim sort of sort of snuck out of not nowhere but sort of left field to suddenly become everyone's favorite kind of open world survival um building adventure game um for a very uh intense amount of time uh, at least for for myself and for my friends and for pip and then it sort of uh for me at least faded and that seems mm. to have fit alongside the fact that and I, I actually admire this you know, it's developers and it's part of a very, very small team subsequently have taken very much taken their time with kind of meaningful updates to a game that's still yeah. in early access. Um, does that, does that match your own experience of it, Alex? Yeah, very much. Um, yeah, I played it qu- quite intensively for maybe about three or four weeks. And then I kept, I just had this setback, you know, um, all my best gear was on a, I don't know, it was on a, did I put it on a ship? Can you put stuff on a ship? I can't yes. remember exactly what happened. Yeah. Um, and then I was attacked offshore. You know, I just progressed to the sort of the next area. I, I can't remember exactly. I killed a boss, put myself, you know, wanted to recite my base, um, got attacked, died, and then just couldn't get back to my stuff without dying because it was just, it just got dumped, you know, in yeah. this kind of dangerous area. And I'm. It's. I'd actually had quite a lot of fun staging attempts to 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 retake it, but I died maybe three or four times, and then the spell broke, and I haven't been back since. Mm. And but yeah. but I did keep thinking like why I like I I don't really like survival games that much. Um, and I was like, why why is this one why is why do I like this so much? I think it's the atmosphere. Yeah. But, um, yeah. I think. Well, it's I think. Good. I think. I think there's a few things about like there's two days to Valheim for me because one thing is we sh- it feels like we sort of started with the negative here like what caused you to drift away mm. did you drift away etc. And actually, I, I would credit Valheim. Um, uh, we can get into I think a specific successes, but more broadly with like I think you know certainly all of my kind of biggest like co-op moments of the year were in Valheim. Um, and I think I benefited very much from playing it on a server that I was, you know, a permanent server that my friends could jump in and out of and kind of contribute to. And there are so, there was so, now they think about it, so many stories arising from that. Like it's, it's boss fights are really cool and they're especially cool when you're doing them with other people and mm. going through all of the prep involved in finding the boss, uh, getting the resources you need, creating the little portal network to get you the stuff you need close enough to do it then kind of embarking on this hunt together to bring this creature down and then taking the trophy back to the stone circle and getting the buff. And in that context, actually the corpse runs are a thing, you know, um, uh, you know, our server was um, me, Pip and and friend of pod, uh, Paul Canavan and um, me and Paul are just sweet, gentle, normal men who just simply want to build a longhouse, ideally the same longhouse over and over again. In my case, a kind of, 
sort of quasi-historical sea fort that I can live in by myself and stare into the wind. Um, uh, in, in Paul's case, a kind of increasingly non-Euclidean kind of Erlong house that he can't stop making um, because I, I think maybe like he was cursed by a witch or something. Who knows? <laughs> Um, and in, then, you, then we were accompanied by the machine, Philippa War, who would simply kill everything in the <laughs> world and bring back the spoils of her conquests. Um, and, and and occasionally she would die somehow in some far off corner of the world, and I would have to go into my sea fort and get the boat and sail out, and and that, that was my job was to like, you know, <laughs> Valheim um, dad, like sort of. Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm just going to pick you up and take you back. Stuck outside the club, and now I've got to go. To yeah, <laughs> and like, and then there was the time that we went off on a sea journey, and like, particularly like before you've kind of mapped the world or discovered what its limitations are, um, there's so much magic in like the sea journeys, particularly and heading off and find yeah. the secrets and monsters and, and things to discover, and and I remember and I'm maddening a single maddening like I think it's like a flute on the soundtrack that kicks in in the kind of <laughs> in the sea theme that drives everyone insane. And I don't think it's, I don't think that's a, a feature, but it's it's a it's a it's a quality of the game. Uh, it's a quality it certainly possesses. And the time that we all went out to sea and Paul clearly got bored and he just jumped out on like a death mosquito infested hell island. And he was like, <laughs> "I live here now," and I was like, "Do you want me to build your portal so you can come home?" He's like, "No," and oh, then God. like. And then, like the like, literally a week later in real time, being like, "Can you pick me up?" <laughs> I don't like. I don't know why I'm here. I don't Actually, like that's not quite true. He was very stubborn about the whole thing. But like, but all of those memories, like, there's so much fondness in them. And I think the only reason we kind of drifted away was really running out of things to do, like running yeah. out of new things to discover. Because as you go through that process of discovering things, it felt very, very special. And I think that is a sort of testament to, um part i think part a big big part of it is look and feel as you say like it has this kind of like quasi it looks like you remember ps1 games looking but they didn't look like that um and like that is very charming um it's very it reminds me of like somewhere between ps1 game and the first generation of 3d mmos like an everquest or asheron's call or something like that which is very kind of uh poignant kind of uh sort of nostalgic territory for me and then the other side of it is I think that it's crafting and survival systems, particularly early, are very, very smart and get you to the good stuff relatively yeah. quickly. Um, it doesn't bury the lead. And I think that's um, a great um, uh, a great sort of um, thing for a game like this, where sometimes those kinds of like survival ladders or tech trees can be a bit of a test of patience. Whereas actually Valheim kind of, is interesting from the start it escalates quickly and then it keeps getting interesting and it was exciting whenever pip would return having discovered metal or something like that it would open up all these possibilities um and i think the magic of those games generally is not the threat of dying because you haven't got enough stuff it's the sort of emergent potential of combining elements to solve problems you didn't know you would have one day like um pip and i spent a long time taming a wolf because we wanted a wolf and then um, uh, uh, we, you know, and then I went through the rigmarole of walking it all the way back from where we tamed it, the little settlement that we built to tame it, all the way back to because taming a wolf in Valheim means trapping it, but like in some walls with a gate, feeding it, throwing food in for it, and it needs to stay in those walls for a certain amount of time before it will just be like, I'm tame now. Um, but in that time, it will only it will it will absolutely attack the doors and walls with everything it's got. 
So you need to be constantly like, we built like a platform overlooking it where I could lean down with a repair hammer and repair the walls to prevent the dog from escaping. Um, eventually we did tame the dog and I walked it all the way back across the landscape, like fleeing dragons and things like this to get it all the way back to our house where it was like, I built it a castle basically that was better than anyone else's house for the precious dog. And then uh, tragically that dog was uh, killed um, in an accident uh, I think a giant related accident um, while Pip was playing and she felt terrible about it. And then the next time I came into the game, we had a, like a kennel compound full of increasingly dozens and dozens and dozens of dogs, because if you have more than one, it turns out they make more dogs. And then we had this whole new game to play, which was about uh, like exponential dog management. Um, <laughs> and those are, those are, those are the fun things about these games for me. Those sort of like natural problems that emerge from just like Did you... mixture of social dynamics and yeah. Did you have a Viking funeral for the dog? Uh, no, because I think it would have exploded into meat in the manner yeah. of the game animals. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. what could be a more Viking funeral than that? <laughs> I mean, I hope, I hope that when I die, I fall over to, I go like, and then fall sideways onto the ground and then explode. And there's just like a Greg's chicken bake there. <laughs> So you see your meat as being chicken. Interesting. Well, I guess you're right. That doesn't make sense. I was thinking about like what food would I dispense. Well, Greg's don't do a human meat pasty. <laughs> that, that's true. <laughs> uh, and if they did, they'd only do it to appease the people who complained when they made that vegan uh, vegan <laughs> yeah. roll. Yeah. Um, <laughs> cannibals is what I'm saying, I guess. I guess I'm going there. Um, um yeah, so that was. Uh, did you play Valheim largely solo, Alex? Yeah, I did. Yeah, I um, I was briefly on. <laughs> I kind of lurked on the sofa uh, on the server that um, Pip was sofa? playing on with um, mm. with a uh, 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 piece of game of house, right? Piece of game of people, yeah. Um, and I, <laughs> I thought I would like be a ghost there and kind of haunt my way up the coast towards them and kind of lead weird artifacts and settlements behind and then i got bored <laughs> pretty of cool and normal within a few few like a day or so, <laughs> so yeah, I, most of my, yeah. um, I wonder yeah. how many like real life hauntings we've missed out on because the ghost just kind of got bored of the project <laughs> yeah. uh, they're not really noticing <laughs> this weird shit <laughs> um but i uh so on my own i was sort of enveloped very much in in the atmosphere of the world and um just the the first time you go into a barrow, you know, mm. incredibly atmospheric, you know, and you know it, it's a short short time, maybe maybe your fourth or fifth visit, just as you're starting to get the equipment that's going to let you not be frightened of the skeletons you find inside. Um, at that point, you start to understand that, that they're all fairly generated and they're on a fairly sim in a simplistic way, and they're all very very similar. But up until that point, they're incredibly um, atmospheric. But but once they do become a bit um, uh, rote, uh, my attention was invariably turned somewhere else. You know, like holy shit, there are these little villages scattered all over this um, island that I started on, and they're all. I don't know. There's something about them. The way they sit in a clearing, or sometimes they're mm. just by the edge of a forest, and and the forest is one of the particularly dangerous ones and you know so they're this sort of last sort of point of um of civilization before kind of horrible things are and you know there are these castle 
the castles that you stumble across in these really quite dense forests um and they're it, it does a lot with um, quite simple building blocks, and I really love that about it. Um, yeah, like the, as you said, the, the crafting system really pulls things along really nicely. Um, yeah, and really delivers a sense of progress and a sense of kind of possibility, while also being actually quite easy to keep on top of. And and yeah, no, don't, not too much a sense of grinding. Like that sounds all really mechanical because actually my experience of it was um, very like I'm in this world and I'm enveloped by it and um, yeah that's definitely why it's up on my up on my list this year. Nice. Another game that came out this year that I had no idea came out this year but featured on several lists uh, was Hitman Three, which was January 2021. If you can believe it. Yeah, that was a, a weird head spin to realize that came out this year. And I suppose it feels older because much of it is, right? Like it is, yeah, yeah. It's the f- the final part of a three part puzzle. Yeah, and it's like it's sort of boringly good. <laughs> like mm. it's mm. it's really good. It's it's one of the best games this year. It might be the best game this year for me. Um, but all the reasons it's good are just the reasons that Hitman Two was good and the Hitman One was good. You know, in the this twenty sixteen um, onwards uh, series. Uh, in which they are more like seasons of a show than they are whole sequels. Like they, they are substantial enough to be a sequel, but they're not. They don't radically change the sort of format of it. And I think this one um, uh, had a great time with it. And if it's moved forwards, it's in the in the sense of um, they've figured out how to blend their storytelling ambitions with their sandbox stuff now. And that's a that that has, used to be a terrible problem for hitman like it was a hit, the, the pre 2016 ones um all struggled with this blood money was was best at it just because it had less plot stuff but every hitman game that had plot stuff the plot stuff ruined the sandbox it was like if it's doing plot you're gonna have a terrible time in the sandbox and you're not gonna want to replay this level and it's gonna be a shit one and then finally with hitman 3 they figured out a system whereby if they want to tell a story that takes place in a level that they also want you to replay the story will be a kind of um uh a bit tacked onto the start that when you're playing through the campaign, you play through that and you have to, and it's got all the scripted stuff. You might've lost all your weapons. You might, you know, have some restrictions to work with. There might be, um, you know, dialogue going on during that. And then you sort of arrive at the main location. And then that's when that's the sandbox. And then when you go and replay the level, you're just playing the sandbox and you skip all that story stuff. And that works really well. Um, like I obviously I'm not really that invested in story stuff and I would be happy for it to just go away entirely. <laughs> but, um, I don't want to, uh, you know, shit on it for the for the people who do enjoy it, and it's really nice that they found a way for those two things to coexist. And for me, it's really just uh, another five big um, sandbox levels with a lot to figure out. They obviously did do some new stuff, like the Dartmoor level is a bit of a departure from um, uh, yeah. from previous games. How did you find that one, Chris? I really enjoyed it. Um, I think I, I had come. Like, I'm kind of casting my mind back, but like. I had replayed Hitman 1 as in new Hitman 1 um, and uh, played Hitman 2 for the first time in anticipation of this. So I was very primed for like five new experiences, please. Right. And so I was, I thought, you know, I, I apart from maybe like arguably the, the, the finale mission, which doesn't really count, I didn't think there were any duds in this set, I think. Yeah. Unless I have, unless I have literally forgotten the dud. Um, and, 
um, what I would say about the Dartmoor mission is it was like, I don't think it's necessarily, you know, um, a brand new concept to do the murder mystery mission or the mission where you can explore relatively freely because if you do the right things, characters are expecting you to fill a particular role in the environment. Those feel like ideas that have been so dropped in and out of Hitman levels in different ways, but in such a concentrated form, I really um, found it very enjoyable. And I think it's a good example of how the new form of these Hitman levels, when I say new, I mean since 2016 work, where you do have these quite authored pathways through and then the kind of open sandbox side of it um, interacts quite nicely with each other because I feel like the Dartmoor level is really ripe for being pulled to either extreme where you could almost, you know, following the paths feels like momentarily playing a whodunit or a, you know, an RPG really. Um, But finding ways to completely subvert that environment when you know what you're doing, um, then almost like feels like it almost breaks the world open even more than it does in a more traditionally open level. Does that make sense? Where it's like, I can assassinate someone in a completely bananas way here because I have God information now. (laughs) um you know i'm coming in yeah yeah that one i actually didn't like it uh my first time through um because i found it very restrictive i just found it very difficult i just couldn't get at the detective and if you're not the detective that kind of sucks (laughs) um but then i started to like it a lot more when i and this is a kind of arc i took with a lot of levels here um once i started to get competitive about it because one of the great pleasures of hitman for me is uh competing for the best scores on the levels which is something i don't normally do in in almost any other game and it also feels like a clash with what i like about hitman which is you know really freedom and open-endedness and being creative and trying weird shit but actually once my friends start saying oh i got silent assassin in six minutes i'm like fuck i bet i can do five minutes (laughs) and it's a it works because it's like a slow process of of you can spend as long as you like exploring this level trying different things testing theories saving and loading um, uh, finding out, uh, just discovering little opportunities and little cheats and tricks and stuff, and then you do this one run. It's actually a lot like Teardown, which is uh, you know I talked about mm. this last year. Uh, that format of having as long as you like to plan the heist and then having one timed run where the stakes feel high, but actually if you do screw it up, you can just load again and try it again. Um, that's a really good fit for me. And Hitman levels uh, actually, it's surprising how well that works. Like I actually can get really into the competitive side of it and um it doesn't feel stressful and dartmoor was one where i thought oh this is going to suck for this because it's so prescriptive it's all kind of on rails and then actually once you get into it it's one of the more interesting ones to do because you uh like you say you you have such extreme uh, knowledge of what's going to happen and depending on your starting location you can get right into the heart of things from the off and pull off uh, some really impressive stuff i also uh, now that i think about it uh Berlin is it the Germany one? Mm-hmm. Um, the nightclub one is also a uh, a new twist on the Hitman mission where there's a large number of targets and you only have to kill is it five of them or something? Yeah. Um, so it's up to you who the targets are, which is a, a cool thing. And that's another one where I didn't like it the first time through, and then when I started to get competitive about it, um, I really really liked it. That's one of the most interesting ones to optimize because you have so much freedom there to figure out. You know, not just how do I kill these targets, but even which targets am I going to kill? And I figured out a, a, a nice system that meant I didn't have to go into the club at all because <laughs> the club I find just a navigation nightmare and uh, very awkward to try and get away with anything because it's so crowded and I much prefer the big open spaces. And yeah, I figured out a certain set of five targets that I can do all from outside and uh, figuring out, you know, getting close to, to a good strategy and um, 
realizing it doesn't quite work because of this guy and then thinking, maybe I just don't kill that guy. Maybe I just pick a different target and find a way to do that. That was really satisfying. Mm. I think you were right. Like I found it resonant when you said that it's like almost boringly good in that, <laughs> like in this list. It's, but it's funny digging back into it. It's, it's that is because it's really good. And I think, I think Hitman is probably, I think I remember saying this close to the time where it's like almost snuck up on me over the course of all three releases that like, that Hitman package now is just quietly one of the best stealth games ever made, I think. Um, and I say quietly because I think it didn't have huge expectations to live up to when it came out, and then it just kept being good and kept getting better, and the levels got more interesting, and it sort of has now become this very generous kind of um, span of, of things, uh, very competently put together with you know high production values and you know refined systems and so on. I yeah. find that a sort of, yeah, like an interesting thing to kind of consider because like it's, it is, it feels like one of the best, the best balanced, like, you know, big budget games, AAA games I can think of in recent years between having, you know, meaningful production values, some cinematic aspirations, very deep mechanics, longevity, like all of these different qualities that don't always sit very easily next to each other, even just within the context of like third person action games. Right. And it does seem like it just sort of succeeds at all of the things it sets out to do, which is uh, a rare thing for any game to achieve. Um, yeah. But that's, that's that I think is what boring success looks like, you know, while <laughs> also being a, a genuinely big achievement and a really amazing thing. It's funny because, um, so I think it's also been uh, increasingly successful. Like I think that Hitman 2016 kind of struggled because um, it was a weird proposition. It was like you, they were selling it episodically originally. And then yeah. they, there was also like a full pack you could buy. But I think some of them, the levels weren't done yet and stuff like that. Um, and they kind of reversed all that with, with Hitman 2 and, and uh, let you just buy the whole thing. Um, and it's interesting because I think uh, there were definitely people when 2016 came out uh who thought the number of levels was paltry because they were they were trying a new thing which is like a level is not a level it's a it's a destination and within that there will be loads of different missions and loads of different ways to use reuse that location and they just really lent into this idea that a level is is highly replayable and very open-ended and not specific to what you're doing there this one time um and i think you know, for me and a lot of people that's been really successful and i'm very happy to have five big locations in which lots of different things are uh, doable and interesting but there are some people saying you know oh my god it's only four levels or only five levels or something that's that's pathetic but now that there's been three whole games they actually have what they asked for which is like now there's like 15 or 16 of these like massive levels all in one game that um uh that also has all the depth and replayability that that they were focusing on in the first place yeah it's yeah it's just a it's a really good game and I don't know what else to say about it. We should, <laughs> yeah. um, uh, Alex, I'm going to apologize. I, would, I was going to pass to you, but I realized we should talk about a game that segues really naturally from Hitman, which is the year's other run-based Hitman game, basically, <laughs> which is Deathloop, um, which I appreciate I've never talked about on the pod, actually, since finishing it. Um, and But it did appear on both of our lists, I think, Tom. So, um, yeah. yeah. Let's talk about Deathloop. This is... I'm going to try and not do the thing I've done on almost every goatee podcast. I mean, I will definitely do this to some extent, but with Deathloop, um, I'll try not to just be arguing against it <laughs> because I, I've done that before where like even just my own list, my own personal picks, I'll just argue against each one of like, here's why it's not the best game of the year. <laughs> um, 
And yeah, you you definitely got a lot more out of this than I did. I think uh, all of my sort of uh, issues were kind of around experience like on paper this should be my favorite game certainly of this year and one of my favorite games of all time because it's arcane and i love them and they're doing a sort of more straight kind of hitman sort of thing uh, and i love it's kind of information game you're gathering information about about stuff and so all of my criticisms are kind of like coming from a place of like why isn't this my favorite game of all time um but yeah it, it is a game about gathering information about a complex you know situation that is unfolding in a time loop that you can replay and, and dig into and that process was really satisfying i really enjoyed uh, trying to puzzle out the mysteries and along the way you get to like take things out of the loop kind of thing like you're it, mm-hmm. normally you're replaying these uh, correct me if I'm wrong is it four time periods and how many areas yes four um, areas also four maybe yeah that makes five. sense because you have to do what, what I think you have don't you have to do all of them in the final run you maybe. don't have to do all of them in the final run <laughs> a lot of podcast voices <laughs> yeah sorry uh, final yeah I'm to, I'm, I, it would be easier if i say it out loud but i also don't want to spoil it for people yeah of course i'm just yeah. gonna think it through but i think maybe anyway, you do but yes not not yeah, a huge sorry, number of different of areas yeah um and yeah normally you're you're dying and resetting and you're you're back to uh, starting the same way you started the first time except that you can gather this resource that lets you sort of kind of buy things to keep like some of the stuff you had in that run you can sort of pay some residuum to to have it permanently unlocked and yeah coming up with the right build of powers and passives and weapons and stuff um that was you know suited my play style and was satisfying um that was a really fun process as well um and it, it did feel personal i mean a lot of my choices felt inevitable in the sense that like i can't make a different decision to this i have to have blink i have to have this i have to have that um but I think a lot of that was personal to me. Uh, not everyone, you know, chose those same things. Mm. I think I said this when we were playing it, but like, because I think I played it a little bit later than everyone else, and I sort of missed it on the pod. Um, but I had a really good time with Deathloop. But I was very aware as I was playing it that like I was almost running past its issues on the way to have the time I wanted to have with it, if that made sense. Um, and I had, uh, and you and I have actually not spoken about it until this moment i suppose until now <laughs> until now but i had this constant feeling like i was like well tom wouldn't like that but i do <laughs> and i just keep going um almost like a telltale like thing of like tom will remember this <laughs> yeah, exactly right but it was almost like yeah i could see your playthrough and like i was just going along and so i was trying to break that down because i think it's a mixture of good and mixed in terms of like why i had the, a good experience of it one is that and to focus on the positive I feel like I, I think I may have said this um, when, when I finished the game uh, to you guys, I felt like I was very specifically in the Venn diagram of people this game was for, where obviously I love Dishonored, I love Arcane's games, but really my love of their games is, is really rooted in Dark Messiah um, and in the kind of like mad action spectacle games they, mm. they can make as well. Not just the stealth immersive sim stuff, but the kind of very fast... Um, you know, in that game, sword play and kicking, in this game, gun play and magic powers and kicking um, kind of uh, play that kind of takes advantage of your mastery of environments and mixes it with really fluid movement and fast kind of shooting and that kind of fun um, that I've always liked. And I, I like, and Dishonored also does this. Dishonored, one of the strengths is that it offers this as part of a package that also includes really deep, meaningful stealth, um, where I think Deathloop is, is legitimately weaker. Um, but 
I like that. You know, I, I was kind of primed for that. The other side of it is that I also am a huge fan of weird PvP. And so I played through hmm. the whole game with the PvP, PvP flag very much on. And, um, you know, for me, those um, those invasions and things created moments of really interesting, exciting tension throughout the experience. And, like, one of the best experiences I had in the game this year was um, I knew, I just knew, I knew in my heart of hearts that I was going to get invaded by a Juliana um, you know, effectively, you know, your player controlled rival assassin who can take you out of the game um, on the final map of the final run. I knew it was going to happen. <laughs> and um, that map is one that at that point I knew really well. And I, I, I knew, and, and I think one of the great things about its multiplayer system is it encourages two sets of awareness of the map. One is how the mission works, all of the NPC details, how the game is set up, all the mechanics and that kind of thing. And the other is how you play it as an invader or as and therefore how to circumvent an invader like it's a second layer of information mm. and i that mish, that map i felt very confident about like i kind of know what most julianas do on this one and i kind of knew how to quickly get basically behind where i where most julianas would wait and camp and I wasn't initially right, but I just had a sense like I'm just going to wait in this particular part of the map, and I'm going to I'm going to take this very slowly because in this sense, getting rid of Juliana is more important to me than my targets because that is a known quantity at this point. I know what I'm doing, and um, and it was the first. It was one of the first times I ever actually managed to stealth take down Juliana. <laughs> which is a really good feeling because it's like there's doing that to an NPC that you've kind of lured into a particular trap, but managing to pull it off on another player feels amazing. When particularly when it comes from some of the same calculations, right? Like, like it's like you, it's just that the form that your distractions take, your kind of mind games take, are slightly different, and that felt genuinely great. I have some very frustrating experiences with the invasion system as well, um, but I think it, for me it genuinely added something to the game. But I can also see for why for other people it would be a distraction or a kind of bolt on yeah um, i had like i didn't get along with it because i was playing on ps5 and right. playing on a gamepad i so a i'm not very good at fps's on gamepad and especially about aiming um and i did i tried some of the stuff you're talking about and i liked the mental challenge of engaging with like okay if a player is going to sneak up on me where are they going to come from and i'm all about hacking turrets so i was just how do i set up my turret death trap so that they walk into this uh, and that was cool, but it didn't really, it didn't entirely solve the problem. It still came down to a gunfight, and in a gunfight, I always lose. <laughs> um, and so I'm not very good at controllers. I also found, just as an aside, the the thumbstick like aiming calibration in this game to be really bad, like the worst. I've, I thought just the PS5 controller was like broken or shit or something, but it turns out to be fine in every other game. Um, and I've heard oh. other people say the same that this, the response was very inconsistent. Like I'll keep the stick in the same position and it'll do nothing at first and then it'll suddenly lurch really suddenly. So like right. actually aiming in a real-time situation was impossible. So that side of the game, I just had to turn it off because it was too frustrating to lose every gunfight. Mm. Yeah, I can see that. Obviously, I was on PC where it felt fine um, for a lot of that stuff. The other thing I would say about it as well is like, I think because of the way it encourages you to play, you have a lot of like lost runs or things that are just exploratory or very scrappy solutions that don't matter because the loop will reset. And for me, I'm such a perfectionist in these games most of the time that I felt very liberated from that. Like literally, if they had released Dishonored 3, um, which interestingly Deathloop was originally kind of conceived as, um, uh, then 
I I almost felt like as of when it came out, I wouldn't have had like the mental energy to really commit to a really good Dishonored run, if that makes sense. <laughs> like, but I did have the mental energy to kind of blunder my way through a series of like, you know, crap. You know, the, the, the experience I've just described of like having all that experience coalesce into a moment where I could exert some amount of mastery. I was very, very satisfying. But a lot of the game for me was like, almost like kind of throwaway in a way that I actually needed, I think. Like <laughs> I needed a game that, you know, I find, for example, I find playing hit, just to compare it to the game we were just talking about, I find playing Hitman scrappily not that fun, right? Yeah, like definitely. You get, into a, you get into a gunfight and it's like, ah, oh, fuck, I'm just going to load a save because what I want yeah. to do is not this. If Whereas, anyone but me fires yeah. a gun, it's over. <laughs> <laughs> I am the only gunman. That's what they really should be. <laughs> like, yeah. Um, and whereas with Deathloop, I was like, well, the worst this will get is it'll turn to a fun shooter, right? And I will play that until I die. And in that context as well, the kind of peppering of these PvP encounters, the fact that you can always get something out of an experience, whether it's a piece of loot or power up or something to carry forward with you or a piece of information or a better understanding of the route. Like, I think its peaks aren't as high as the best of Dishonored, which I should stress are like some of my favorite games ever. So that's, that's not you know a bad mm-hmm. thing necessarily. But I also found that it's sort of nadirs as an experience overall were, were never that low for me. Like I was, I was very consistently having a fun, even if occasionally it was like, well, I fucked this up time to just kill everyone and run away. Um, yeah. yeah so interesting. Cause there's like, uh, my friend Nels has very much the same perspective as you, where I felt it liberating that you can't quick save and you can't quick load and stuff. Yeah. And I have the opposite response, which is if I can quick save and quick load, I'm liberated because I can try whatever I want. It doesn't matter. I'll just load the save. And so I'll take the wacky power and I'll take the weird combination and I'll I'll just play with it for a while. And then I'll load my save and I'll do the, the real run. Whereas in this, there's so much was at stake each time. You know, I mean, not not every time, but but some runs, you're like, the stakes are too high. I can't afford to experiment here. I have to stick with my good powers that I know work. Uh, because if I don't, I'll lose all this stuff I've gathered. I'm carrying so much stuff that I haven't saved and I have to survive to save it. Yeah, I do agree for what it's worth. I think I think there's like a there's a moment in the middle of the game where you experiment where like the 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 experimentation bandwidth is at its widest, because it starts narrow and it ends narrow. And I think once it starts to narrow, it never really opens up again, right? Like once you have your way of playing it kind of settles in. I didn't find that unsatisfying, but I think that was also partly because I was like, I finished the game and I moved on from it, right? Like I didn't go back to it to experiment. And I think you could call those things out as weaknesses, but I also was like, I had a good time for the, how many hours was it? Let's let's literally find out. For the 15 hours it took me to finish Deathloop, like it was, you know, a consistently good time. It looks great. Like I really enjoyed the, the story and the performances and and therefore it's for me it's like i think maybe maybe it's reasonable to want more from arcane in some ways but i was like this is like among the best or if not the best single player shooter i played this year i think cool yeah for me like i i was definitely got it it's definitely got its hooks into me i played it like you know it was all of my gaming time from the moment that i first played it to when i'd completely finished it um and I played it like every night. So it was I was definitely super into it. And I was just sort of obsessing as much over its appeals as I was over the things that weren't working for me. Mm. Awesome. Um, Alex, I've neglected you for too long. I was Because I, I did play um, Death 3, but not enough to put it on the list. Like, I just don't know it well enough because I kind of found it, found it a bit overwhelming. I just hadn't really got a 
mm. finger on it under it yet. But um, I just want to say that I did, I do like it, and I want to put more time into it. Yeah, I think if people missed it, it feels like one of those games that um, it's just going to sit there quietly being good forever now. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like the sort of, um, I think maybe if if the player population dips, and that will take some of the fun out the multiplayer side, but a good maybe a good holiday break game actually if you haven't played it maybe that's the thing thoroughly. uh tell me and us alex about metroid dread let's actually put a, let's put a console game in here we could do that now no we can we're allowed we're totally yeah. allowed um yeah uh i'm gonna say quite a lot of sort of negative things about it because, okay um, cool it's right up there <laughs> no um uh this i mean I, I've I've loved the Metroid series for a very long time, like many people have, and I've I've really enjoyed the the two D games. Um, recently, I've been playing Fusion, which is actually the 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 pre the the, the game that the, the the story before this one prequel. Is yeah, but it's, Fusion came it, out it was like released 20... first, so it's not when a did... prequel, is it? <laughs> I got it. Be? What pre- it's it, predecessor. Predecessor. So, Thank so isn't you, Tom. this isn't this game set after Fusion? It's uh, yeah. So, so so Fusion is the predecessor. Yeah, and that came up chronologically before. So isn't this the normal way things work? It is just the normal way. We're struggling yeah. because <laughs> because the outlier way is to like it's the prequel, right? And that's how everyone mm. talks about it. So when you actually talk about the normal way, I was caught off guard. Anyway, <laughs> is, I like gold. the two D games, and um, uh-huh. uh, and I I was it was so I, I just had to get it and the very first few minutes of playing it it's just sort of this is one of the most lovely games to control um in the in the basic movements um of recent times for me or maybe ever there is something about its sense of responsiveness um and the fidelity of its animation and the way that it responds to your um inputs just the way that that samus will put a hand up on a wall as um when you when you kind of um hit it uh run into it it's um it's it it just feels great and i loved it from the the very first moment as a result um, there's a really good uh, YouTube video by an animator that digs into the animation system, kind of trying to figure out how it works, just how much procedural kind of IK stuff in there, how much of it is baked animation, and and how, despite the animations being really detailed, and how it remains feeling really um, uh, snappy because you know it it looks like she is. Uh, melding between between animations because you got from from a slide into a jump but you know you never feel loss of control um uh sam's moveset is really good um one of the new things to this one is that she has a slide so your momentum rarely drops or if you, you can feel really skillful if you can maintain your momentum because by and large there's a way of doing it with your ball jumping sliding underneath um low hanging bits and it's 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 really good um, for that. Um, and that, to a large extent, makes up for an adventure which um, which is very linear. Um, you know, Metroid uh, is famous, if not synonymous, with uh, non- non-linear um, 2D adventuring. Mm. Um, 
and uh and but if you actually if you go back to metroid fusion metroid fusion was actually pretty linear yeah metroid pretty fusion linear. would would have you go to these points where a computer man would tell you where to go next and and you would go there and then the next bit would open up but but in between those bits, uh, you'd have an area which you felt quite a lot of um, freedom to explore. Um, it's, I think actually that freedom is quite cleverly curtailed. Um, I don't think it's as cleverly curtailed in uh, Dread. I think, and I think that, that for a multitude of reasons, and I haven't really got a complete figure, haven't completely figured out why it does, it feels so curtailed, but I think it's a combination of the fact that the world doesn't feel that much like a world you're you're meant to be on a planet you're meant to be exploring ancient ruins uh kind of uh industrial sort of um uh, sort of buildings uh mining bits with all lava icy bits laboratories those sorts of things which are kind of the sorts of things you play you you encounter in um, and explore in, in metroid games in this one they just feel like they're slapped in there <laughs> and it doesn't help that um you're constantly going using these transportation kind of points to go between the different sort of biomes different areas and the way that it, the game pinballs you between them just you just never get a sense of any kind of geography of this world and how things work um work together um fusion uh you're on a space station and it kind of makes sense. And in each of, and you kind of like got these different areas, um, which are bound together by kind of an elevator system. And so you you kind of it makes sense that you would go to the elevator, this main elevator. You'd go up, choose an elevator for go down down to a different biome. Um, and but there there isn't that sense of cohesion in Dread at all. Um, the big thing about dread is the fact that you're constantly being hunted as well um by what are called ennies which are these meant to be friendly robots but they've gone bad they've gone bad and they're hunting you the way they move is just incredible they um kind of slink and kind of rotate their way around ceilings they can actually walk on the ceilings and they'll kind of their body parts will kind of rotate to follow the contours of whatever they're walking on in these incredibly convoluted looking ways which look somehow also very sinuous and organic and very but very uncanny really it's a really good enemy and they are quite discomforting um and um they are uh very very lethal as well because if you touch them they will kind of instant well you'll get this little cut scene in which you've got a very small window in which you might be able to to parry their attack but by and large you won't be able to uh and then it's game over uh i've seen the game over screen many 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 times in this game Mm -hmm. um uh um the sequences where they're hunting you down are very um telegraphed like there is a you know exactly the the environment in which you they'll be hunting you they make this sort of like little sort of noise as they're hunting you as well um the the atmosphere like it's got this sort of icy atmosphere um sort of hits the area that you're in and you know it, it's it's very clear when when they're when you're nearby them and the way they move around and the way they hunt you and the way that you can evade them is interesting and i've enjoyed it um but it's very staccato like um i think for me metroid games and metroidvania games in general excel when I can enjoy a sense of flowing freedom 
of kind of uninterrupted exploration um, and then going back to earlier areas and feeling more powerful and and wanting to investigate that place because I've got a new skill now and, and maybe I can use it there to, to access that thing that seemed out of reach beforehand. Like there's an un. It, when it's at its best for me, that feeling is an unfettered. And in Metro Dread, uh, the combination of the fact that the world doesn't really make sense, the fact that it it it's so linear and it's very good at closing off spaces um, to keep you on that linear route because you've gone down a one-way corridor, you've fallen down a hole and you can't get back up again. So the only way is forward, like techniques like that. Um, and the fact that you're being hunted during certain sequences um, it really dents that um, enjoyment for me. Um, uh, the bosses too, they look beautiful, um, they're exciting, and they are fucking hard. <laughs> they're the sorts of bosses where you you complete a phase of it, like in you the first time you encounter it, it looks impossible, and the second time, I, you know, you kind of do it badly, but you kind of like I got through that bit, and then you realize, oh shit, that was just phase one. Um, and one of those phases then will end with a little kind of QTE, QTE kind of sequence, which you then fuck up, and then you've got to go back to the main thing. It's, they can feel quite brutalizing. However, um, you do learn these bosses, and you do, and I've found myself getting that, it's that, that sort of sense of mastery from not feeling I can do it at all to being able to do it, um, which is kind of interesting. But... It's funny, Dread is on my list because I love the series and I love the atmosphere and I love the sense of movement in this particular game. But there's a lot for me that is wrong with it. And that's kind of, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's a funny one. And it's up here nonetheless. I think, I think it's a, it's a good game. It's just not the greatest Metroid game, but you know, that still makes it up there in this 20, year 2021 <laughs> guarded praise indeed <laughs> sorry go on yeah do you think i should play it alex i uh, know you'd hate it <laughs> okay <laughs> <laughs> i don't i don't Fair think enough. you'd like it i think that you'd feel railroaded and for the challenge to to be unfair like i don't know why would it be un why does it feel unfair i think it's because you feel railroaded all the time like i didn't choose right. for this you know ah fuck i don't want yeah. this you know and you don't sort of feel right i'm <laughs> going to face that thing now i'm gonna i'm gonna fucking do it because you can't go back and do something else while you're kind of ratcheting yourself up to face the thing you know that's coming in this one well i can't go back so that all i can do is face that fucking bastard boss or that right. any which I don't want, really want to do right now. Still good though. <laughs> Game of the year. Um, we should, uh, we should bounce off this briefly into a different game about a person who doesn't leave a suit. Uh, <laughs> I had a feeling I knew what this was going to be <laughs> in the in the nuts. So actually, we were we were originally planning to record this year's Game of the Year podcast last week, and I was so ick, I was ick, I was ill. So we couldn't. Um, he was I can also ick. talk. I was ick. I felt ick. I felt ichnopod. Ichnopod. Um, but what that did mean is that it gave us a week to actually play Halo Infinite, which um, I think is on both of our lists, Alex and, and I, because it seems really good. I haven't finished it yet. So it's a bit of a kind of cursory include, but I didn't want to not talk about it because yeah. it's sort of 
plonked, plonked. I'm uh, having a time of it, apparently. Um, <laughs> sort of into the end of the year as, um, and immediately I think impressed me. Obviously, you know, this story goes back a few weeks to the surprise release of its multiplayer component, which is awesome. You know, I, I talked about it previously on the pod, like really fantastic mm. uh, resurrection of, of a lot of what makes Halo multiplayer great. Missing some stuff and with one of the worst sets of forced errors in a progression system, unforced errors in a progression <laughs> system I've ever seen. Um, but nonetheless, the game itself is great. And we talked about, you know, that, that, that has to be enough sometimes, you know, to, to make a great game. And I've been playing the campaign um, and I'm really, really enjoying it. Um, primarily because, you know, I didn't uh, expect Halo. I mean, I knew that it sort of said that this was going to be an open world Halo. Um, I didn't really know what that would necessarily mean. Um, but it is, I think, it's refreshing that they have leaned so heavily into what I believe has always made Halo special, which is that the fundamental building blocks of Halo are really, 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 really good. Hmm. Uh, weapon set is really good. The fundamental kind of uh, logic of swapping weapons is great. The um, you know and seeing your enemies both as enemies to defeat and uh, big dogs to woof and uh, uh, I'm just going to deal uh, with the dog. You keep talking weapons to collect. Yeah, I'm just going to keep talking to Tom. Uh, uh, <laughs> I'm listening. Um, and this you know the sandbox of it is extremely robust. The AI is great. Like the it feels like we've 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 gone through many decades of getting better at the sort of the presentation side of action games and to some extent the smoke and mirror side of action games and few series i think have meaningfully advanced what halo set up in terms of pure mechanics and i think the best thing about this game in the in the time that i've been playing it so far is that um the open world structure is really an excuse to play with those mechanics in mm. you know in, in the way that you know halo has always been a mix of like corridor action and then the occasional open area and you would treat those open areas pretty precious because they would be the ones where you'd carve 15 different ways of solving them out of the mechanics available and halo infinite is all that um but to some extent that is also a bit like having ice cream for dinner in that uh, exactly. I assume every time the dog barks, it's because I made a great point that made sense. Um, <laughs> he's, he's very much, in, he's very much yeah. agreeing. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, the um, it sort of it can feel a little bit kind of uh, kind of light and ungrounded when you can approach any situation from any angle. And I've seen the criticism leveled at it that this sort of speaks to a lack of level design. I don't think that's necessarily the case at all. I think the encounters are clearly kind of you know set up in particular ways. Um, but the freedom of approach I find really refreshing because it just rewards you for being creative. Like, you know, you can you can claim these forward operating bases as you progress. You get the options to pull down more wider and wider sets of vehicles um, and weapons. Uh, it has retained the halo logic of if a Marine, if a friendly Marine is holding a gun and you want that gun, you give them the gun you're holding and you have their gun now. And this is just accepted <laughs> within the, you know, UNSC army that at any time <laughs> your commanding officer can come up to you and just swap what you're carrying with what they're carrying, like at any time. <laughs> and this is obviously Take like... this banana, Marine. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, I guess I hold this stuff. And they will all willingly carry whatever weapon you want. And this means that you can turn it into a game, if you like, where you equip whole little squads of Marines with weapons that you've chosen for them, pile them all into a warthog. And if you manage to not drive them off a cliff, then that's your little battle group. And you can play it in that way. And 
Um, I find that really, really fun. The grappling hook is great. Oh, like it's such hook, a natural yeah. addition to the series. It feels like it was always there. I think a lot of my enjoyment is stemming from the fact that I'm playing it on heroic, uh, which is the second difficulty from the top. Which is oh, always did you? I, That's interesting. Yeah. I always start. I I learned yeah, this too. a long time ago. Always start Halo at heroic and then do legendary for the second run. See, um, I, because I, Halo is better I do when it's that hard. Too, but I, for this one, I went normal. I don't, and I don't even remember remember why because it's always been a point to go heroic because heroic is is really fun uh, skill level in the early games anyway. Yeah, and it is in this as well. Like, and I think. I think heroic is what is preventing the relative openness of the new setting from feeling frictionless because um, you can die really quickly. If you fail to identify where the snipers are, you will yeah. die real fast. I would say and... that's the same in normal, actually. Um, yeah. Yeah. Like it, it will really punish you for overreaching, you know, as soon as you get surrounded, even if there aren't any snipers around, like it will, it will be, you know, it will punish you. So, I'm playing on normal also, and uh, it's my first Halo game since the original. Um, and I'm surprised at, like, there's a bunch of stuff that where some modern contrivances have, have made its way into Halo. But then, as far as I can tell, there's no grenade indicator, which is a very common feature of modern FPSs. And yet, this is the <laughs> one game where enemy grenades will fucking kill you. <laughs> like, and they I throw was them shocked several the time. times. And yeah, and it's happens? just the little guys Why can throw them too, which I, I didn't know that. Well, what they do do is they shout, I'm throwing a grenade. Yeah, it's very <laughs> yeah. sound-based. They, yeah, they 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 say it. It's also very visible because, especially when the little uh, grunts uh, throw one, they'll be doing the plasma ones, and they glow very brightly, like white. Yeah, blue. I've got a lot better at it now because, like, it just wasn't on my radar as a thing that a standard like low level enemy would do is like drop a grenade <laughs> at my feet. <laughs> I, I've I've been killed by so many grunts holding grenades over the years that I'm just I'm very nervous, <laughs> very very nervous. Yeah, I think it's a certain muscle memory there it's an interesting call out though because i think there are a lot of kind of like un in a sandbox that that's deep there's a lot of kind of unforeseeable ways to die suddenly yeah. occasionally but mm. as part of the fun of it is like trying to navigate the situations and make the best of them how are you finding it tom i'm really curious to see what you make of it as a kind of far cry fan and, and the other games if yeah like, well as well. i'm very early i had no patience for the pre-open world stuff i was like fucking hell get this over with please <laughs> like the, <laughs> i think and i think that's why i haven't played a, a halo since halo is i I liked Halo all right, but anytime it was in corridors, I was just so bored of it. Um, and so this is the game for me, I guess, because it's the open world one and you get a grappling hook, which is uh, I love. Grappling <laughs> hook feels really nice. It's not sort of like just the problem with grappling hooks is you need to design the whole game around them if you want them to be proper Tarzan swinging things because you need a ceiling to swing from. <laughs> and of course, this doesn't have that. So it's much more of a kind of climbing tool than it is a sort of big, cool swings. Although you can do some of those sometimes, but um, inexplicably, the, you can the main also thing... use it to arrest your fall. Yeah. If you, if yes. you fire it at the ground, <laughs> you, you grapple slower than you fall. So if you fire it at the ground, you just, <laughs> it's, it's a very rigid line or something. You just. <laughs> I actually, so I didn't know if, if, Halo even has full damage. Um, it does. But I just I instinctively too. did that anyway, just to, just in case. I was like, well, you know, there could be full damage in this game, and so just as a safety precaution, I'll grapple myself towards the ground because that'll be safer. <laughs> like, what have video games done to me that I know this will work? <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, they. I think it, it's combined with a very good mantling. Um, yeah. uh, affordance where, like, if you're anywhere near a ledge, you'll be able to climb up it, and that's that makes it work really well just for like getting on top of stuff so that's really nice yeah i was um, really surprised by how forgiving it is about letting you go up completely sheer very very high cliffs yeah it's like, that's great 
Yeah, actually, you're really floaty. So that you're basically flying up the thing, but with a with a bit of string. It's amazing. I mean, so I'm early on, but for me, this doesn't compare favorably to Far Cry, just because uh, the thing I get about uh, thing I get from a Far Cry game is it's a um, open world stealth game. So I'm approaching the outpost right. in stealth, and whether or not people have detected me is a key thing that's always on my mind, and I'm trying to do it in a very methodical, slow. Uh, way in which no one detects me until it's too late like it's over by the time anyone knows i'm there and of course that this game is not built for that um and it's actually quite weird i found to be to have an open world game where like i don't really know what the stealth mechanics are in terms of you can sneak up on people sort of uh but once people have aggroed they kind of all know where you are and it seems like they don't de-aggro for quite a long time <laughs> and, and in the like open world it's quite like a distance as well i'll just yeah, I'm just going to move countries. I'm just going to keep going. Like, <laughs> I know you're all very, very mad, but honestly, I can move faster than you, so it's just not going to work out. <laughs> you are the chief. I think I, this is like the Halo thing. Like, if you know the chief, the chief doesn't really do, doesn't he doesn't do um, stealth. No, he's a big green man. Um, I think, yeah, I think, like, the reason I'm sort of hesitant about, like, shoving up into the kind of, uh, game of the year layer is i think for me it hasn't quite yet captured the sort of the i i loved halo like and i really did for a long time and i think there's a um I, i'm really enjoying being back in that sandbox and playing with those various pieces it feels great which is the other thing i would say like the little kind of like drum hit when an enemy actually dies is great like yeah. it's such a kind of consistently great reward loop you know um, i think they've done a really good job with that um I think Halo previously also, I also, you know, I will say I do like the corridor Halo because I think the fundamental mechanics of Halo are interesting, like breaking shields and like there's some of the muscle memory and like how to kill a jackal behind a shield, which is like just like with two shots, which is now like burned into my brain and my hands so much so that like I can kind of instinctively do it and I find that very rewarding. But also I think traditionally Halo has kind of benefited from uh, a sense of, urgency that comes from its well two things really it's environment well three things environments music and narrative um kind of working together and there's some nice moments towards the beginning like they they kick you know it feels a bit like a halo greatest hits in a way and they they kick you off straight away with an opportunity to flee an exploding spaceship while the music kicks in which is like if you don't do that at least three times in a halo game i think you can refund it <laughs> um but but you know the last halo game i played before this was four i skipped five um as i think a lot of people did and i feel like you know the other thing about halo for me traditionally is like i was gonna say it's one of game one you know it's 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 up there with mass effect for me it's like one of the most successful trilogies in the medium in terms of these kind of big you know blockbuster spectacles uh even though the original halo trilogy is really five games um and i don't think it is sequelized especially well or in a way that kind of lends it the urgency it used to have like halo is is sort of is lightweight in some ways but it is also the origin of the weird destiny dichotomy or the very bungee thing from back in the day of having extremely kind of you know light and occasionally wafer thin world building at the top level of the game and then some inexplicably good sci-fi happening underneath the hood mm. um and Destiny has kind of gotten better and better and better and stronger and stronger and stronger over time uh, up until its latest update, which is all about a magical horse. And I'm not joking. Um, whereas Halo, the new one, it feels like it's not comfortable going totally weird with it, but it's also not comfortable, uh, you know, like 
well, this is the interesting thing about it. It feels very like uh, like a retread and an escalation and one that sort of works and is sort of not working and it sort of feels a bit kind of like, I mean, I'm you know, several hours into it now and I'm still not really sure what it's about or why I'm there or what's going on. Um, but it, it, in a sense, that it's managed to, it's, it's managed the trick of confusing me but using only extremely familiar plot elements, which feels like, a, <laughs> like, a, like, a, like, you know, on one hand, that's the sort of the, you know, one of the reasons, whereas I think if it had stronger, this may be something Tom wouldn't care about at all, but I think if it had a stronger central narrative thrust to kind of power you through these opening kind of sequences, I think I would be kind of a bit giddier about it as a potential game of the year contender, because I think the rest of it's so strong. The other side of it though, is like, Halo used to have like modifiers you could switch on to enable like silly voice lines um, <laughs> and things like that. And they'd always do a load of Easter egg writing for Halo generally. Um, as far as I can tell, Halo Infinite is just written with that by default. Yeah. Um, in that it has more and sillier and Lord. wackier writing. And I really like a lot. A lot of it is very funny. Like there's a lot of very good one liners in it um, for and a very detailed, like conditional dialogue for like specific things happening like you getting a headshot an enemy throwing a grenade near a different grenade an enemy of a different type dying near another enemy like all of these different things and i suspect the purpose of this if it serves one other than just like bants is it constantly bears keeps you in mind of the fact that you're fighting an enemy that's actually relatively smart for a shooter opponent and therefore like the constant chatter is actually like a kind of you know keeps you in mind of the kind of supposed daft interiority of the little alien goblin men. But that, but that was always the case. Like that, that, yeah. that certainly existed in, in Halo 3, but it didn't have the whiplash kind of tonal kind of what the, you know, stakes were meant to be high. I'm saving, I'm saving this squad that I just listened to the millionth um, uh, uh, voice, you know, tape thing, audio recording, talking about their terrible experiences and, and now the funny little alien guy's done a little squeaky voice and told me, done a joke at me, and this sort of whiplash over and over again. But but like Halo Three, the the the, the tone was much more consistent, and I think you right, and it actually. did do that interiority. I think for me, I think it's because they know that you're going, you know, you're going to be having so many more fights than this because it's an open world and you're just constantly just getting into little mini little scraps as on the way to other things and he wants to keep you there and it wants every battle to be kind of peppy and zappy and yay fun 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 it wants to it's really like it doesn't really quite trust the 30 seconds of fun you know thing i don't like, i don't think it speaks to a lack of trust but i think you're right that it's it's a it 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 is like a a way of keeping that open world feel quite lively um but yeah i think that's yeah uh, I, I do, but I also do find that the tonal clash with with the rest of the game is is jarring at times. However, would I then advise that the chatter not be funny? No, yeah, probably yeah. not. Like I'm kind of yeah. glad that there's some, like you know, there are some good individual gags in there because um, you really don't want to be trapped in a room with John Halo like that guy. No. <laughs> God, he's a fucking yeah, Jesus Christ. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, the thought that struck me playing it was like, I feel like Halo is the game that non-gamers think all games are. <laughs> where it's right, like, yeah. It's got all the sort of jingoistic US military bullshit and a gruff protagonist who says, you know, 
things like the the odds are unfair on them <laughs> like, <laughs> that's a line uh plus it's got all the wibbly alien nonsense of just like magic crystals and little goblin guys and <laughs> just <laughs> all the tropier stuff it's funny because like you're not wrong but also i think halo has always been sort of relatively tonally yeah. unique in its own way like but i but i do think that the stuff they've added over time and this is the, the problem of the endless sequels is they've kind of diluted some of the original like sort of wonder of Halo, right? When that was something that that's something that Marsh pointed out, like on you know in you know as we were chatting the other day. Like I think I really totally agree with him. He was sort of saying, "Is it is it just because we're older now that 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 I just don't find um, the Halo Infinite? I don't feel the same sense of wonder anymore, you know." Um, and how he used to enjoy, like the 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 setup of the early uh, original game, you know, the, the earlier mm. games was this multifactional um, uh, kind of sort of conflict where they were factions within the enemy. And I also found them really interesting. The fact that they were, you know, there were there were bad guys within that structure, which actually gave. Um, the opportunity to have allies within the covenant, the baddies, um, who you could understand why they would be siding with you, and like that, I thought that was really well drawn. Yeah. And um, and I'm not getting any of that. You know, I'm a, it's early days, but I'm not getting any of that flavor at all here. Like the enemies are just they're just boring ape boys. You know, like well, okay, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I think yeah, and I think the like it's also the case that they didn't really know where to take their higher sort of sci-fi ideals after resolving them in halo three really um you know and i like i hit a line recently and i hope this isn't a spoiler where someone literally said something like the forerunners can't hide the secret of the precursors forever Okay. Oh fuck! Here we go. <laughs> um, <laughs> but that, that, uh, it's layers, and it's all those layers. That's like five games worth of layers. Of, yeah. Oh, no, it's not even that. It's like it's five games of main Halo, two of the of the that strategy post Halo. Yeah. The, yeah. Two, the, two the strategy, strategy games. Thing. And like all layered on, like forerunners and they're like oh shit we need some even more forerunner forerunners <laughs> Fuck yeah we'll call them the precursors but what came before them fuck right well it's also <laughs> that like they've completely origin devalued... boys <laughs> <laughs> like they've completely devalued the word forerunner they really have like it was always like sketchy that that's how they would refer to themselves but it was always in the context of an, a- <laughs> an, a- an ai of theirs that was explaining it to you in the present right where it kind of makes sense right these people were your forerunners that makes sense to some extent and now it's just like that's what they were called i guess like <laughs> the whole civilization got like, around like we're gonna be fucking meaningful in ten thousand years boys <laughs> it's like if we called if we called World War One, World War One at the time, <laughs> well, here we go on the first of these. <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe they were onto something. Honestly, like we live in a world, we live in an era of great uncertainty, great ecological uncertainty. Maybe we should start referring to ourselves as the forerunners. Maybe that's the most optimistic, <laughs> like it's the most optimistic stance you can take as a civilization, which is like, well, you know what? Probably fucked. Probably too late. But we can bury some cobalt blue stuff in the ground and someone <laughs> will invest that with meaning 
<laughs> in the future. Like, make sure none of our doors or switches work in a logical way. <laughs> Put a puzzle behind um, everything that we build. <laughs> yeah. And record only five audio diaries. Yeah. Hey, and all of the biggest problems we have, why not, instead of destroying them, why don't we hide them in very conspicuous places? <laughs> um, <laughs> I did. I, and it, the, the has, I've seen the loading screens quite a lot because cause I die quite a lot on this. And... Um, and like they point out some of the kind of the series sort of um, like things like um, there was a, a I think it was an achievement in the original or like one of the Halos called Flawless Cowboy, mm-hmm. which presumably, I don't know, you get through it without dying or something. I don't know what the fuck it was. But like Flawless Cowboy is, is a phrase which is burned into my memory. Um, yeah. And it has such a flair to it that Halo used to have, which is really feels missing to this game. I think mm. it's really fun. I've been really enjoying playing it. Like the the you know as as you said, Chris. Like the way uh, you know the, the the gun feel and the just the, the 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 whole mechanical thing is great. But there's no flair to it that might ever come up with calling some little fucking you know uh, an achievement flawless cowboy that's just totally missing. And like, there is a there is a kind of bungee voice. Are just good at making games, and that's that's just all they are. <laughs> yeah, and I think it's you know I think the humor is is sort of very specific. To, in in many ways, it feels more like Borderlands, right? Like yeah. I would say, and that's an interesting kind of. Um, axis but Borderlands is at least version. supported by everything having that. Yes, you know, yeah, yeah, we've yeah. talked about the but, shift, but but yeah. But it's also an appropriate choice for a more open game, right? Where it being more perfect. I don't know. Um, maybe it takes you out of it more. I'm having fun with it. I'm, ha- yeah. I'm also. Having I feel like. Fun. Oh, there was actually. I was going to say, have you? I just keep getting this um this flavor of um uh, Metal Gear Five, constantly. Like the FOB thing mm. was when it when it first mm. kicked off. But like calling down stuff, you know, that you want from points. Um, just the sense of being out yeah. in a big world it feels so oh, weirdly metal geary very, i get very i get i get breath of the wild as well actually right, yeah i yeah, think yeah. i think it's partly the kind of the vertical approach and the sort of you know the fact that you're kind of tra- traveling between these little camps yeah kind of unlocking stuff i mean yeah, these are not bad pre- comparisons. preset little kind of encounters that are designed as much as they can do given that you can come at them from any angle yeah 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 yeah, yeah. But yeah, I mean, it's good. I feel like I feel like what this podcast is becoming is like our caveats about the best games of twenty twenty one. Yeah, as always. But uh, I think maybe it's a final thing on Halo before we move on. Like, I I said this about Hitman earlier. Um, I think it is um great to see a game that gets its value from meaningful mechanical depth mm. and a real investment in systems as a driver of oh god I'm, this is i i can't escape like i mean you said earlier right at the beginning of the podcast that you don't re- you know don't play games for a living anymore and neither do i and i, f- I can feel dev brain creeping in here a bit. <laughs> um or producer brain creeping in but like i think getting longevity and variety and dare i say engagement out of mechanic out of like systemic depth is like the most honorable way for your triple a game to achieve that right mm. like there are so many ways to and, and it's it's fun, very funny to me that this is in the shadow of such a colossal own goal of a more hostile engagement system <laughs> you know what i mean through the battle pass 
um, that they have like they succeeded at the thing most games don't succeed at, which is creating a game of sufficient mechanical depth that you want to play it and you want to unlock more options because that makes it more fun. But you're also glad that you're being drip fed stuff, so it's not overwhelming. Works beautifully. It's great. And then they fucked up the battle pass. But like that, I think is something I wanted to lord because if if this is you know if this becomes the the model for AAA stuff that you know the way you get because there's, there's been stories already about the troubled development of this game that the way you get a game's worth of content is just by building really strong fundamentals. I think it's a really good lesson, you know, for the industry generally. Yeah. Um, and something that I, I did want to praise it for before moving on to caveats about a different game. <laughs> <laughs> Tom, would you like to, would you like to, this is a hard pivot, but there's really no way to not, for this not to be a hard pivot. Uh, uh, Halo is odd, but life is strange. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, like, John Halo's life is strange, and so is <laughs> the life of Alex Chen, who is the protagonist of um, uh, Life is Strange Two Colors. A uh, True Colors, sorry. Uh, two Colors is the one-bit version <laughs> that was released in 1984. <laughs> um, yeah, this is a kind of a left-field um, uh, thing for me in that it is one of my favorite games of the year, and... Uh, like I like Life is Strange. I, yeah, I like Life is Strange a lot. Um, but uh, I this so this will get a little bit personal. I was having kind of a rough time a few months ago, um, and uh, I tried to like get into a new game to kind of um, as an escape. You know, games are sometimes really good at taking your mind off things, and I bounced off so many. And then I tried Life is Strange: True Colors, and it just kind of clicked straight away. And it's immediately, it's so it's set in a town in Colorado, um, uh, a sort of sleepy town, a very small town, and you are arriving there for the first time to stay with your brother, um, who is sort of well integrated uh, there, and you are the, the new kid in town, um, but your brother is extremely welcoming and nice. It's got a kind of vibe of like pre-weirdness Twin Peaks um, of... Uh, there's something very escapist and and like uh, idyllic about uh, that kind of um, small town, and everyone in it is so fucking nice. <laughs> like all of the characters are just lovely. There's one nasty guy, um, and then there's like a big shadowy evil corporation who are sort of absurdly evil. Um, but even they they don't really get. They have sort of representative, but she's like a low level person in the organization, so she doesn't really sort of carry the whole weight of the awful things they've done. And even the nasty guy is sort of, um, you can like dig into his, uh, his story and kind of uh, get some sympathetic notes from him as well. And then everyone else is just a lovely person uh, who is super nice to you. And it was just like the perfect balm for me. It was like a sort of warm bath for the brain where uh, it was escapist, but it also didn't feel saccharine. It wasn't, even though all these people are lovely, the game has a very sad energy to it. Like you are someone who's coming out of um, a foster care system that hasn't treated you very well. You have some trauma in your past. Um, I won't say what, because I actually, so there's a thing about it that the game's blurb itself will spoil for you. Uh, I won't spoil it because I, I didn't know it when I first played it and I was glad not to know it. Um, but there is a sadness that that, that hangs over the whole game. Um, and yet it's kind of a, uh, a bittersweet sadness. It's, it's, about it very much dwells on kind of the um the impression a good person leaves behind after they're gone 
where you are, even though it's it's tragic that they're gone, you are spending all of your time kind of experiencing and, and coming to understand just how positive they were and just to what a great impression they left on everybody and how much they meant to everyone. Um, and it feels... it. So this is made by Deck Nine. It's not made by Don't Nod, who did the original. And it's incredible how well it it fits the Life is Strange vibe. Like if you're here for a Life is Strange game, you absolutely get a Life is Strange game and it feels like that. But at the same time, it also feels a bit more, I'm trying not to say the word competent. <laughs> uh, like it's just a, a, like I'm not speaking out of turn to say that the original Life is Strange had some dialogue that didn't feel entirely natural, right? <laughs> like that was a take that a lot of people had. Um, and this does like all of it just sounds right it's not it's not 100 naturalistic dialogue it's still you know dialogue from a drama but it is just very you don't bump on anything everything just sounds right and and uh is pretty well written and uh very well acted in most cases alex in particular is i think a brilliant performance just completely natural and sympathetic and you just like her so much um and everything she's going through feels so real um yeah, it just strikes a really good tone. Uh, it's not much of a gamey game. Uh, it's it's very strange because the your power, so the the supernatural part of it is that you can sense people's emotions and you kind of share them whether you want to or not. Um, so if someone's very angry, like you both sense that they're angry and also you will feel angry. Um, and that is assigned to a trigger button where you hold it down and then you're like in emotions mode where people glow with their, the color that represents the emotion they're going through. Um, but there's almost no gain to that. It's really you just hold down that button and then you can interact <laughs> with some things. Um, like the way it'll work is that they glow that color, but also so will some objects in the world. And those are objects that kind of have some special emotional resonance for that person. So then you go and interact with it and you sense what they're feeling about that thing. And that's it. You just interact with all the things that are glowing and then <laughs> you've done it. Um, and so it's kind of weird that it's sort of it, it's implemented in that way where it's a button you can press at any time. It almost feels like it's inviting gameplay, like, oh, this is going to be a thing where it's up to you to think of the right times to use this. But no, it's not. It's just, you know, it's obvious when to use it and you use it and you click on all the stuff and then you you solve the, the person's problems. And then the actual kind of gamey side of it comes more into like the decisions you make. It's very much like a, a Telltale game um, or a, a Quantic Dream game where you make decisions and at the end of each chapter you're told the percentage of people who've picked those things and it's that's always very gratifying and very fascinating to see what other people picked and i think it's a sign of a good one when my choices are quite unpopular <laughs> like if i'm making a lot of choices and it says like well 85 percent of people did not do that <laughs> that's actually a good sign because i always think like okay you, you successfully got something quite personal out of me there like you um you made me feel a certain way about the stuff that not everybody does um and yeah it doesn't it, it never examines the inherent problematicness of being able to basically mind read. Like you can't read specific thoughts. Well, you kind of can at times. Like you read emotions and then the way those you, those emotions are communicated to you is like you'll interact with something and you'll kind of hear what the person feels about it. Um, it doesn't really examine that or interrogate that. Um, and also there are times when you are offered the, the, the opportunity to like take people's emotions away. Like if they're having a very bad emotion there's an option to take it away. I never tried it because that just seemed deeply wrong to me. <laughs> like, I'm like, whoa, that is like way over the line. And in the game's defense, you know, that was, it was always presented as a big, serious choice. I don't know what happens if you do it. I don't know if the game 
I expect the game probably doesn't tut at you for it because it's not that kind of game. It's it's really about like whatever choice you make, we'll see that through in the in the most positive light we can and and give you a, a sort of resolution that that fits what you're going for. Um but yeah, uh, you know, I I it, the game never forced me to do that and I was glad it didn't. And it felt like a personal choice to make that. I think that was actually one of the ones where I was unpopular. I think there was a case where a lot of people did take that emotion away from somebody and I chose not to. Um and at its best, it finds quite a good line on that where I like you can sort of headcanon it into um, something that's more comfortable, uh, where the way I think of it is really Alex can kind of sense what people, what they're feeling and also kind of what they want from her, like what what she could give them that would help them in their situation. And, you know, sometimes that is, um, you know, teased apart into mechanics and into or into you know puzzle logic of this person is feeling x what are you going to do to fix that um but at its best it's more intuitive it's more like you just alex will just make a choice that seems crazy to me and it will work for that person because she is sensing their emotion she knows what they're going through there's a i won't say any specifics but there's a, a time when you're sort of trying to console someone who's grieving and the choice Alex makes is something that I would have instinctively thought like, boy, that could be really kind of triggering. Like that seems really stepping on the toes of this person's emotions. But because of that supernatural power that she has, I think the game gets away with it where it's like, okay, she is, there's no way the game can ever communicate fully what she's experiencing here. Uh, and she is sensing that this person needs this, like she sort of needs to be reminded in a certain way of the person he's, he's lost and it works for him. And that kind of mind reading feels in safer territory of just like you sense what someone wants from you, you sense what would work what what would feel good for somebody and you can do it and that's another aspect of like why it's such a wholesome game despite being quite a sad game is that you are always kind of sensing people's pain and what they what they wish they were getting from other people um and you can give it to them and i think that's also like the the biggest video game power fantasy for me <laughs> like i don't mm -hmm. want to be able to kill like the 25 people that i can kill in far cry 6 but i would like to know what the fuck people want from me in the world yeah. <laughs> and what is getting to be a character who can sense that <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah yeah it's just a, a beautiful little like mood piece it, it's it's the the town is is gorgeous and the you know the scenery is gorgeous and you want to live there i was interested to find out actually it's set in colorado and that is where the developers are from so it's very kind of authentic to that that location uh, they know what they're talking about and yeah just as that it was kind of a perfect piece of escapism at a perfect time for me and uh just really it was something i could immerse myself in completely uh took my mind off stuff and always came away from it feeling kind of you know warmed that's lovely hmm. i hadn't actually considered playing it now I, now i am yeah me too. Yeah, I think I, I think I straight up prefer it to the original Life is Strange. I think it's just better. Uh, I wanted to mention one more thing about it, which is that um, I haven't really explained like much about sort of what you're doing moment to moment. It, it does a great line in um, someone. Uh, I'll just give an example. There, there is a kid who wants to um, do a LARP, a live action role play, um, that other people in the town have been planning for him and putting a lot of prep. Uh, again, everyone is fucking lovely. Um, and uh, he is, as it happens, when the time comes, he's very sad about something. Um, 
and it's uh, he's on the fence about whether he wants to go through with it. It kind of feels like he doesn't really want to be the center of attention, and so you kind of uh, you can try and talk him into it or or go along with that. Um, but if you do the LARP, it is an incredibly um, uh, lavish rendition of this because you are because you're sort of an empath. You are inside his head. You're you're sort of seeing things the way a, a child's imagination sees it when you are leaning into a kid's you know fantasies and and um, uh, validating all of all of the daydreams that he has, and so you you kind of see all of the town as a fantasy landscape, and the people who are pretending to be monsters, you see them as actual monsters, and there are uh, like proper battle mechanics and stuff, and you hmm. you gain new abilities, and you can like level them up, and you're doing choosing damage over time spells or buffing different people in your party. It's just so wildly over the top um, in terms of like. The effort they must have put in to make all this stuff work just for this one scene where uh this kid wants to do a larp and so the mechanics of an rpg make sense so they just go to town on it and it's also like visually gorgeous they go the sort of effects and, and stuff they do to make this feel magical to a child is is amazing sounds good sounds extremely good there's um there's one last game on the list and it's mine and there's no elegant segue here there just really <laughs> isn't there is no elegant segue from this lovely empathetic game about bringing in this particular case a child's fantastical or imaginative investment in their environment to life and uh screaming and decapitation simulator chivalry too that just <laughs> there, is, there is there is i mean if maybe the segue is this i a 34 year old man uh, occasionally need uh to be whisked away to a fantasy land where you can press v to bellow at any time you spend a lot of it getting your lower leg cut off by a wiggling man um, with a with a with a two handed greatsword. Um, but um, it's a LARP of sorts. It is. It is. Um, but isn't it all? Think about <laughs> it. Um, Chivalry Chivalry Two is genuinely one of my favorite games of the year, um, and certainly probably my favorite competitive multiplayer game that was released this year, with a few honorable mentions elsewhere. Um, and I won't maybe spend too much time on it because it's sort of it's the joy of it is really in its simplicity and you know um, a mixture of things obviously I love my first person melee games I love my mod how um, it is a less uh, sort of dense and simulatory take on first person sword fighting than mod how um, but better calibrated for large scale battles and um uh, but with it still works at the dual level. It still works at the sort of lower level, kind of you know, um, just having a scrap mode. Um, and honestly, like that kind of specific kind of medieval ultra violence is something that um, makes me happy. And I don't, I can't really point to why, but I think it's a combination of. It's, it's the tone that they strike in these games. And as hostile, Mordhau can be one of the worst places on earth in terms of internet kind of bottom of the barrel memes and stuff. Really, really can be. Um, but there's something kind of exuberantly silly about what the these games, or specifically Chivalry 2, has done to the notion of like medieval warfare that turns the whole thing into this ludicrous Monty Python pantomime where limbs are flying off left and right and people are being bloodily decapitated and falling over and screaming and shouting my lord at one another in a way that i find enormously charming 
and that that sort of and then that and it elevates everything else that happens and the kind of slapstick action of it and, and gen- the genuine kind of fun of pushing an objective or breaking through enemy lines or trying to hold back an enemy force as it storms your castle that just sort of exists in this sort of like space of like pure kind of like fun um multiplayer play for me and i think i, I think i've made this comparison maybe before with regards to mortal but i feel about this way about chivalry as well particularly the new one which is that chivalry playing chivalry feels like um it feels like being in a playground more than anything else for all the kind of the violence and the kind of the supposed realism of it it feels like a big slightly too violent playground game is being played and everyone is sort of in on the same page about this that like there's a certain amount of winning and losing but there's also a lot of shoving and and sort of (laughs) falling down and getting back up again and falling in a hole and that's very funny and um you know there's some it sits on some part of the multiplayer design spectrum between like a pure sort of you know, more pure kind of competitive multiplayer experience like Halo, for example, which has its slapstick elements. Maybe Halo's a bad example for that reason. Call of Duty, for example, on one end. And like a pure kind of slapstick party game like like Gang Beasts or something like that on the other end. And in the middle, you have this daft medieval warfare simulator with its stupid speeches and its daft weapons and its ability to sit on a throne for no reason in a particular map and these weird little Easter eggs and shortcuts and traps and daft scenarios that um i i just find enormously enjoyable and and like um uh i think the new one does a really good job of bringing out the best of that model very consistently i genuinely don't know if i have tons more to say about it than that other than like you just sometimes fun is being chased by a screaming man with an axe Um, (laughs) bellowing man with wanting to shove you yeah yeah um and that's it really it's chivalry too it's real good um i think you know if if i've sort of identified that valheim produced most of my favorite compet cooperative experiences this year i think in terms of new games particularly chivalry is way up there in terms of competitive multiplayer for me in terms of just it's a great it's also a great balance of it's a game where you can try hard and it's also a game where you can have a lot of fun not trying very hard which makes it a very good hangout game as well good thing to do while you know running around with a friend trying not to get decapitated really isn't that what we're all trying to do it is yeah yeah <laughs> um but that actually brings us to the <clears throat> the end of the the formal list i think what i would like us to do now is go around the table such as it is um and first up call out any honorable mentions we probably can't go deep on them but it would be good to call out other games because i've certainly got a couple um and then maybe each settle after we've done that each settle on an actual game of the year and we'll see if that produces a result or as is more likely it produces three different games um (laughs) so yeah alex what, what would you say were your honorable mentions this year games that came out this year that maybe didn't make the final list but you would like to kind of give a shout out to yeah, I've got actually got quite a few. Uh, Demon Souls. Um, mm-hmm. The the stones look nice. Uh, Graniads of the Galaxy. Um, yeah, they talk a lot, uh, but somehow <laughs> I don't hate it. Psychonauts two, which I I kind of want it to be higher in my list, and I just don't know. Don't know. 
it's good. Yeah, that's it's really nice. It's lovely. How far but did you get also, with it? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how far I'm in. Like <laughs> halfway. I don't know. I've played quite a few hours, but it's it's nice. That's a it's an honourable mention for me too. And the main reason it's not higher is I just haven't played enough of it. I'm only yeah. sort of like in the second chapter ish. Yeah, I think yeah, I'm not far off that. Uh, Rift Wizard. Um, I mean, I think this is a prime Tom game, and he hasn't played it yet. Um, mm, look forward to this. It's a wizard simulator, and it is good. Allegia, which is a side-on, it's like a platformer, sort of fighty game, story game um, about men at sea and being ninjas. It's it's good. <laughs> uh, oh, uh, Yignet, um, which is oh, yeah. a really nice abstract musical platformer abstracty game which is really lovely um and maybe i should have promoted it a little bit higher because it it really is just a a, a lovely game it's quite short um it it does its small thing incredibly well and i recommend it i think that that's that's enough that's enough nice tom are we uh slipways which I've talked about on the podcast before. Mm-hmm. Uh, my opinion on it hasn't changed. I actually also haven't played it much since I last talked about it. So it's a thing that has obsessed me for many, uh, many an hour, uh, both in the Pico 8 version originally and then the gorgeous version that is out on Steam now. Um, yeah, it's a really elegant pared down 4X game um, that is all about trading and creating trade routes and it invites really deep thought about how to set things up. And it's very, very satisfying, very addictive. I think I've kind of run my course with it now, so it's that's why it's not higher on my list. Um, Far Cry Six, uh, which is another boringly good game, <laughs> it's it's very much like Hitman Three in the sense that I had some great times with it. I really, some of the outposts are fantastic. Um, so it, by rights, it probably should have been one of my main choices. The only reason it's not is that everything that's different about it versus previous Far Cries is kind of a step back, I think. <laughs> like, very little that they changed is better. Most of what they changed is like they're just different and not better, or it's different and worse. <laughs> so it's very hard to reward that. It's very hard to be, like, champion in Far Cry 6. Uh, the one thing that's better than Far Cry 5 is the setting is, is way more interesting, and uh, it's a lovely place to explore. Yes. Um, uh, Subnautica Below Zero, I pretty into this i actually really loved it um it reminded me of all the reasons that i loved um subnautica originally um and uh i it just isn't very different to subnautica which is fine but i sort of hit a point where like the the scariness and the dauntingness of it all was just enough that i stopped playing it for like a week or so uh, and really i stopped playing it forever because <laughs> when i came back to it like uh just the other week which is after like sort of two or three months gap i just can't remember what the hell i was doing and where i was so i can't get back into it now so the game's <laughs> kind of dead to me like it's so hard to know where like what was i building like what what vehicles do i do i have access to and which i do i not because in the first time through subnautica you would remember because the only things you don't know about you don't know about whereas in an expansion i know about everything pretty much and i just don't know where i was on that curve so that's kind of a, a sad end to that game um and I guess uh, the Outer Wilds DLC, um, man, this this could so easily have been literally my game of the year with no contest. Um, it's called Echoes of the Eye, and it's the first sort of half of it is fucking amazing, and it's some of the best Outer Wilds has ever been. 
And then I can't actually recommend it because the back half just changes what the game is completely. And it, it's very challenging and very unpleasant to play. It's just a really punishing kind of challenge that they add that is not in line with, with the other stuff you've played in the Outer Wilds. And I don't like it at all. And it becomes very frustrating. And it's a really sad end because everything else about that DLC was so good. Um, and is that it? I guess I'll just mention Griftlands. I haven't played it much this year at all, but that is a really interesting <laughs> game that, that hit 1.0 this year um, and uh, is very interesting. I mean, should we say Inscription? <laughs> like, inscription it's on my list. Like, sort of... Okay. Um, yeah, let's. I'll let you go to it. Well, I mean, let's let's jump right into it. So, like, inscriptions on mine. Um, it's it's in this list because I really ad- admire it so far and I appreciate it, but also like, I'm still working my way through it. So, and I feel like I'm not. I can't have an opinion until I have finished <laughs> it. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. But uh, I admire it. I think it's clever. Um, I'm enjoying it. I'm I'm not finding it very sticky. Like I have to. I'm kind of making myself play it because I kind of want to find right. out more. Uh, I don't know if that's jealous with your experience, Tom. It's it's very hard to sort of ask even ask where you are without <laughs> saying too much, so I won't. Um, but yeah, it's a sort of it's a game of three parts, I would say, and the first part is the strongest by far. Um, and yeah, it's another one where like like the Outer Wilds DLC, it so it could so easily have been way up there, um, and I feel like it just kind of squanders its goodwill eventually. Uh, I think that's probably all I should say. Mm-hmm. Um, also, on my list. Um, Resident Evil Village, um, which I did really like. Um, I think it's got a lot to to recommend it as a kind of, you know, first person horror experiences, and really as a reboot of Resident Evil to the extent that it's that as well. Um, it's real scary. Um, it doesn't make it higher for me because I think it's ultimately quite by the numbers. Like I, I think it's environments are beautiful and there's some great set pieces, but <clears throat> like. Um, I think that that really is what it it it's it, it, that's what make it up right. Like systemically, I didn't find it enormously interesting beyond beyond that. Um, uh, Splitgate is on this list, and and fighting for a position oh, at the yeah. top. Splitgate is just a game that I uh, have a great time every single time I play it. Um, it you know this is the game that is somewhere between Halo and Portal. It's been overshadowed a little bit by Halo Infinite coming out and being like, yeah, this is you know, Splitgate is ultimately a little rough around the edges and it, it doesn't feel quite as good as, as Halo. But the Portal stuff is super cool and it shouldn't work and it definitely does and and that's <laughs> you know something that I really like about it and I um it that it is honestly fighting out of this honorable mention slot into into a higher position for me um if it, it just in terms of like will i have a good time when i load this game yes does it have the most cursed character art of any game release in 20, <laughs> 21 also yes like i i hate the garfield i hate him i hate him <laughs> and i find him very compelling and like um i makes I no damn it, sense it compels it just, me though <laughs> it does it does it does i i yeah um like there's uh I, I play it with 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 paul and 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 both of our characters look like complete trash like i'm a big green <laughs> samurai robot and he is a what i would only call like a kind of off-brand red necron and <laughs> like or a terminator and we just look so naff and like but that in its way it's kind of kitsch and they're definitely not going for this but they've ended up at like 
sort of crunchy JPEG Twitch. Like, it's like, what if Drill designed all the characters in your video game? <laughs> it's like the pitch, which is maybe the highest recommendation I could possibly give it, but but not on purpose. Um, anyway, that's Splitgate. Um, that game also makes me like borderline toxic which is a new experience for me like i'm usually quite a wholesome person and like <laughs> you know there's like an element of like pure 16 year old chris that comes out playing splitgate that doesn't come out playing halo either which is weird um i think splitgate plays into it because it literally has modes where you you know like those like kill confirm team deathmatch variants where like you kill someone but they'll like drop a token that you've got to pick up so you've got to confirm the kill so it like forces close range engagements that classic variant splitgate has that but you have to teabag the body or it doesn't yeah, i was going to mention this i saw that the other day and, I and, thought, mm, and like I, yeah and and it's a big yikes it's a huge yikes and yet in per in the actual game i think because there's no real meaningful humanity and the awful fucking characters you're all playing it almost it gets away maybe it maybe it only gets away with it for me someone who is not like necessarily going to be upset you know, well, I, I actually, which is weird because I fucking hate teabagging as a phenomenon. And I don't think it's excusable. And I think in other games, it's like an instant ban. Whereas in this, I was being chased around by a man dressed as fucking Garfield, whose name was Anakin Skywalker. And I was like, not today. And I used a portal to get behind him. And then I stole his points. And that felt amazing. So who am I to judge? A, a person with a brain, allegedly, is the answer to that question. Um, I was going to keep talking. So yeah, it's a weird fucking game, um, but I I do have a great time every time I play it. Also on this list, um, Forza, the new one, five I think, <clears throat> um, which I enjoyed a racing game. I don't care about cars, but I liked it. Um, and then finally, actually, a game that is a very recent arrival as of the last couple of days, but maybe the most important game released this year, um, Super Auto Pets which if you haven't heard of it is a very lightweight auto battler, <clears throat> like somewhere between an auto battler and like Hearthstone's arena mode, um, where the cast of characters is exclusively made up of animal emojis. This was, it's got some real flash game energy and you make a lineup of little animals. Otherwise it's an auto battler. They kick the shit out of each other in a line, but there's lots of stacked little, you know, buffs and dependencies. And so emerging some classic combos, like the elephant, when it attacks, throws a rock behind it, hurting whatever animal is behind it in your lineup. But the peacock gets more powerful every time it takes damage. So in a peacock behind an elephant, that's a classic combo. However, the camel, when that takes damage, it buffs the one behind it. So an elephant behind a camel in front of a peacock, incredible, just off the chain. <laughs> some, you know, amazing combat. You give a little hot jar of honey to a badger, that'll fuck up anyone at the end of your lineup. <clears throat> I'm losing my voice. <laughs> um the and then the other reason i would recommend it, this is it's also completely free it's like a 40 meg download and i've played i think pip introduced it to me like the other night and then i played it to like two in the morning um <laughs> uh, the other reason i would recommend super auto pets and this may even be uh game of the year is because uh whenever you buy an animal and add it to your lineup it plays like whatever stock audio was available for whatever noise the animal makes oink oink for the pig a kind of dolphin chitter a woof for the dog and so on however as is scientifically the case giraffes are incapable of making sound i never really appreciated this their necks are too long they they cannot make sound um, they are <laughs> mute animals if you didn't know giraffes were mute now you do um and um and so when you uh, buy a giraffe in the game uh, a woman says giraffe and that is <laughs> one of my oh, favorite gosh. bits of problem solving 
Um, <laughs> yeah, just fucking go for it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just, just say the word. Like <laughs> we, we, we could have just not had a sound, but they committed, and for that reason, it gets the very least into honorable mentions. Um, yeah. Uh, okay. Let's 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 bring this thing all the way. Uh, oh no, to land, Alex. Yes. Yeah, make a choice, Alex. Pick a game. Fuck's sakes. Pick a game and marry it. I'm not going first. You you can go okay. first. We can do Chris. yeah, we can do the like ordering at a restaurant rule where if, if someone's decided they go first. <laughs> okay. Have you decided, Tom? Yeah, I have actually. Okay. Uh, I've changed my mind. I went into this Ooh. podcast thinking I was gonna say Hitman Three, and in the course of talking about it, I persuaded myself that actually Life is Strange True Colors is my game of the year. Hey. Um just uh yeah less boring <laughs> less less boringly good and more interestingly quite good <laughs> no it was just like it was the game i needed this year and i feel like actually genuinely grateful to it which is not something i often feel to video games and i think just you know that is uh, a pretty high calling for a video game to fulfill to, to be what someone needs emotionally and to you know fill that box and uh just make you feel better nice i also came into this expecting to say hitman 3 and i'm not going to say hitman 3 <laughs> so uh, bad news io for making an amazing game um that we've decided to make different decisions about um i'm gonna say valheim mm. this year wow and and the reason for that is similar in that i'm looking at this list and i think there are games on this list that i can identify that like i've had a really amazing time with um I have felt that this game, there isn't really like a clear, this year at least, there isn't a really clear standout winner. Like if I was talking about like, you know, because because the game, you know, to, to that point, Tom, like the game that was sort of the game I needed when I needed it really was Cyberpunk this year. So, hmm. and that was obviously came out last year. So, but I'll say Valheim because I think, you know, to be personal for a moment, I feel like this last six months particularly, uh, you know, six months plus of the, of the, you know, of the pandemic has been like, it's gotten into the point where the, the sort of the, the social measures and safety nets that we all kind of cobbled together in the first half started to fall apart, basically, at least for me, um, in terms of people's energy levels, in terms of ability to kind of spend time with people. And part of that's just been really busy as well. And Valheim for me sits in a very fond space at the beginning of the year where it was a very, it was a it was a meaningful new phase in like pandemic era online socializing for me and all my favorite you know uh many of my favorite moments or little projects or kind of multiplayer kind of experiences this year have arisen from it and that that i think is what clinches it for me and, and it's the same logic in a way it's, it's it's less about what was on paper the best game and more about where the most meaningful experience came from i think mm. it's time alex uh, also, Valheim, uh, oh. pretty much the same. Like for the good times we had, for the good times we had. You voting for the good times, and who could Fair blame? Enough. I mean, I, I guess that means it technically wins. But given that we don't have a, the whole group to vote, then you know, why don't they all win? Especially Super Auto Pets, the game <laughs> of twenty twenty one. I suppose that's that, then, isn't it? That is that. Yeah. We've we've ended this year. Bumpy weird it. year. Yeah, um, I'm a bumpy weird man, and so really, it's my time. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, so some housekeeping, I guess. So as we said at the beginning of the podcast, this will be the last episode for 2021. We're going to take a little bit of a break now. 
we'll be back in the new year uh we should have really thinking about it had a conversation about when that will be uh <laughs> prior to this podcast but there's no point having it now live on air so we will we will we will give you a heads up when to expect the uh normal service to resume in the meantime um obviously i hope everyone has a, a lovely break uh looking forward to finding out communities various goatees from the year because that's always a highlight yeah is that ongoing like is the person i don't know i hope it happens again but i don't want to force it to happen because you know if if it does amazing that would be wild yeah yeah that would be a wild thing that would be a a strange thing for me to insist (laughs) upon um but nonetheless looking forward to hearing people's experiences anyway and the other thing is obviously in the last couple of months we've been you know we changed the, the format of the podcast um, and so uh, I would appreciate over the break knowing if this new format is working for you, like the the two weeks on sort of on the main pod and then the, the lock-ins on the off weeks. Um, that is a very good use of the email address, questions at com. However, in this case, the question is mine. So really it's like answers. At, um, <laughs> but don't email that because it's not real. Um, yeah. And so I think that's probably us done for the year. In that case, uh, if you, sorry, Alex, you were going to say? No. No, you just did the big inhale. I did. I was getting ready to say goodbye or something. But I haven't done the outro. (laughs) I haven't done the outro, Alex. Oh, God. Did some housekeeping. You confused the housekeeping for the outro. It's a classic. (laughs) It's a classic. But I appreciate your state of readiness. Um, If you would like to find uh, a podcast like this, but on YouTube, you can find us at youtube.com forward slash create and crowbar. We've got a website at create and crowbar where you'll find a link to our Discord server which is what where people hang out and share their thoughts and feelings on thing of video game. Um, you can also uh, find us on Twitter at Crate and Crowbar. And, and, and a huge thank you to everyone who has supported us uh, on Patreon this year. If yeah. you want to find out more about supporting the podcast, particularly through the changes that we've, we've undergone, um, you can find out more about that at patreon.com forward slash Crate and Crowbar. Um, I might endeavor to use part of this forthcoming break to actually update a bunch of those materials to make sure they're they're more accurate than they currently are. I've said this on air now, which I'm going to regret when I don't do those things. <laughs> but but sometimes you just got to make things spicy for yourself. Um, uh, I have been Chris Thurston. Who are you? I am, have been <laughs> recently Tom Francis. Bye. I continue to be Alex Wilshire. Oh, it's kind of a thanks. Oh, oh no, I started too soon. I thought we were there. We're not there. I was about to say. I was about to say we had a kind of like a. There's a slightly sort of marshmallowy energy to the to the outro, <laughs> and I was going to hang a lampshade on this, but you got right in there, so I'm not going to talk over you there. any longer. Well, now we're not going first. <laughs> All right. Thanks. Thanks for listening, thanks. everybody. <laughs> Oof. <laughs> Merry Christmas. And that. And that?